We are lucky to be joined here by a longtime Titans rider. He used to be with the Tennessee and now, uh, of course, with the, the franchise itself with the Titans. Uh, and probably the most well-known rider for the Titans for a very long time. That's Jim Wyatt. Jim, glad to have you on. Appreciate you having me on. Always glad to have you, Jim. Uh, first off, let's start off. Everybody's asking about the uniforms. And, and I know if you have any for information, you're not going to give it to us. Um but I wanted to talk to you about the, you know, the whole spectacle, the the concert, and and bringing every all the former players and players in to do this. We've really never seen a franchise do this, you know, kind of big spectacle around a uh, a uniform release, and it seems like it's going to be a really awesome event. What all went into like the planning, and how did this kind of come about? Do you know? Yeah, it should be fun. I mean, this is Amy Adams Strunk, the team's controlling owner. This is kind of her baby and wants to make sure it's done right, wants to make sure it's an event that people remember. Now, I'll remember when they when the team unveiled its uh, uniforms when the team first came to Nashville and and all those uh, you know all the all the stars of the team then modeled them and and how excited people were. And I think they want to bill it as a similar event and to have Florida Georgia line uh, doing a concert to be able to be on Broadway in one of the most electric cities in the country in Nashville Tennessee and with the excitement people have with the team coming off of back-to-back nine-win teams uh, nine-win seasons a playoff birth I just think there's a lot of excitement and she wants to take advantage of that so uh, I, I think that was her plan is to make it a big event and I think it's gonna be awesome. It sounds like it's going to be a really awesome event. Um, I know, you know, we've talked about it on the show for the last few weeks after the news released, and it seems like it's going to be a really great time. Uh, Jim, I have to ask you, I'm sure you're tired of getting asked about these uniforms, but I think my audience would kill me if I didn't ask you. Have you gotten to see the new uniforms yet? Well, I'm, uh, I've, uh, I, can't, I probably better not say. I mean, it's, it's a very small group of people that have seen them. I think more people will see them. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say one way or the other because, uh, you know, I know not everyone has. And uh, so I'm going to I've kind of used this line talking about the uniforms uh, leading up to this. I plead the fifth until the fourth, which is April the fourth. I'm just not going to I'm not going to get the uniform talk because I, I just I don't want to say anything that I'm not supposed to because it means a lot to the owner. And uh I want it to be a surprise. So I, I don't. If, if I say yes, and then everybody in the world is going to be coming to me, uh, asking what they look like, so I'm just going to stay out of it. <laughs> All right, fair enough, Jim. Fair enough. Uh, let's jump into free agency here. Obviously, we've done a lot of, of big moves recently, and and you know some games that we have lost in free agency. Uh, so let's start with you know the pair that we've gotten out of uh, New England with Malcolm Butler and Dion Lewis. A lot of talk has been, you know, a lot of people are calling them the the Tennessee Patriots or the newer England uh, Titans, stuff like that. How much do you think that link between the Patriots and the Titans, do you, do you feel like it is a real thing that we are trying to cultivate here in Nashville? Uh, is um, kind of recreating what they're doing in New England, or do you think it's just mostly coincidence? Well, I, I, I think I'd be, it would be uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, irresponsible, irresponsible or naive for me to think that it's uh, that it, there's not some tie there that's making it happen. I mean, obviously, John Robinson, being a former Patriot, 
knowing how things work there, knowing the culture that's created there, knowing a lot of people that are still there who can speak on behalf of some of these players, you know, whether it's Malcolm Butler or Deion Lewis, certainly he was around Mike Vrabel as a coach. So I, I think you're ob- you obviously have more background on those guys. You like what they've been able to do as Patriots. I mean, Logan Ryan came here with two Super Bowl rings. Malcolm Butler's coming here with Super Bowl experience. Same with Deion Lewis. But there's also, it's, it's not all that. I mean, these guys happen to play positions where, you know, the Titans have a need, and they happen to be some of the best players in the league at those positions. So uh, that's part, partly what's making it happen. Yeah, there's some coincidence there, and I'm not going to deny, though, that that, that helps, but it, there's more to it than just uh, than just that. Speaking of the individual players themselves, Deion Lewis, a really fast, shifty guy, you know, known as the jitterbug. Um, I think a lot of people are excited to see how he plays along uh, Derrick Henry. But we should expect, and I'm assuming this is correct, uh, that we should still expect Derrick Henry is the first and second down back 99% of the time, and then Deion Lewis is the third down back, correct? I'm not going there yet. I mean, I, 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 I want to see some practices, some OTAs. Just, I mean, I, I don't think they brought Deion Lewis in here just to be – uh, you know, a third down guy. I mean, he, he's got he's got too great of a skill set, so he can run the ball. I mean, when he's had an opportunity, he's you know he's put up some good yardage total. So uh, I, I wouldn't dismiss him as just being a a nice you know complimentary piece. I mean, I think that's going to play out in time. And uh, yeah, Derrick Henry is going to get an opportunity. He's going to get a lot of carries, but. Uh, I don't think Deion Lewis would have come in here if he thought he was, uh, if he thought he was just going to be a nice piece of the puzzle that would be out there on uh, a handful of snaps. I mean, I, I think I think he's going to be a big part of the offense moving forward along with Henry. They're, they're both going to play. That's a great point there, Jim. Uh, and speaking of these two contracts, especially, uh, there's been a lot of people that have said, and we talked about this on the show, Jim. Wanted to get your opinion. A lot of people have been talking about. How much money it is, you know, the five years, sixty-one million with thirty million guaranteed for Butler, uh, four years, twenty million with uh, five point seven five guaranteed for Lewis. That they're pretty large contracts. Um, my argument being the guaranteed money is not nearly as large as the contract first appears. What's your opinion? Do you think that the Titans might have overpaid, or do you feel like these contracts are, are team friendly? Well, I think John Robinson and, and Ben Marino, who handles the contracts, and then John Robinson also involved as well in, in negotiating and getting these players here. Uh, you know, I think he has proven that he's he's done deals that are not putting the team in a position where they're stuck with the players. All you got to do is look at the Mar- DeMarco Murray's contract. Uh, you know, when it came time for them to go in a different direction, you know, his money came off the books. They weren't stuck with a big. Uh, cap hit, and if you look at, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of these deals, uh, but I've I've certainly seen out there maybe the way they're structured and uh, and they're done in a way where I think the team uh, will you know can can make decisions based on how things are going a couple of years in. Uh, you, know, it, you know, both sides are looking for fair deals. The Titans want to get as much out of Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler as they can. I think they will. I think both of those guys are going to make a big impact and, and are going to do things they're going to want to make 
the team keep them around for the hopefully the life of their contracts. Uh, speaking of free agency and a, a big name that's out there, obviously Ndamukong Sue has been traveling around meeting with teams, obviously met with the Tennessee Titans, and it appeared with the releases that we were making with uh, Carl Klug, Sylvester Williams, that we were making room for him. Has there been a lot of talk about Sue around there? And Because and, there's still there's a lot of teams in the running. He seems like he's going to take his time. How comfortable, I guess, does the team feel about uh, getting a player like him? Well, they're obviously interested. That's why they brought him to town and and uh, you know spent time with him. He's the top free agent, I think, that's probably still on the market. Uh, and one of the bigger names has come through here. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think people read too much into those early departures you talked about. I mean, releasing Carl Klug and Sylvester Williams, you know, you know it wasn't done to pave the way for Sue. I mean, they were, you know, those moves were done because of their contracts and, and, and production, you know, pro, uh, you know, projected production moving forward. Uh, you know, the Titans, obviously, whether it's Sue or, or whether it's someone else, they're going to fill those, fill their roster spots and create more competition with other defensive linemen. And we'll just have to find out who it's going to be, but you know, they team had enough money to to make a move on Sue or other free agents for that matter, uh, you know, regardless of what happened with with Klug and Williams. I, I think now it's just a matter of, you know, what does Ndamukong and Sue want to do himself? I mean, he he, as you mentioned, he's been to Tennessee, visited the Saints. Uh, he's been to you know, there's been interest from Seattle. He's been to the Rams. Uh, he was initially supposed to visit the Raiders, and, and just a short time ago, I saw a report from Ian Rappaport that said the Raiders' visits off. So, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to be up to him and what he wants to do. It's a two-way street. You know, you, you want a lot of guys in free agency, but you got to have the guy want you as well, and he, he's going to think about it. And uh, you know, and you know, if he decides he wants to come to Tennessee, then they're going to have to figure out whether they can make it work from a from a contract standpoint. But he, he's got a. You know, He's got to want to say he wants to come here first, and uh, you know, and, and I think you know, it's up to him uh, at this point. <clears throat> and um, we were talking about the, these contracts and possibly going after Sue. Um, you know, next year is going to be a lot of free agents. You know, talk about Marcus uh, Taylor, Lawan, Arakpo, Morgan, Delaney Walker, Rashad Matthews. All are going to be up there at six of our most 10 expensive contracts are going to be free agents next year uh, obviously in the back of the mind of the team so how do you think that's going to play a factor in the possibility of getting sue or not is knowing that we have a lot of guys that we likely want to resign or, or we're going to have to replace next year i mean I, I think that's obviously something that john robinson's got the big picture in mind with all these deals he's doing uh you know that, that's you know that's true what you're saying. They got some big contracts up, but you know they they are very well aware of that, and uh, that's why if it happens, they wouldn't have entertained the idea of bringing him to town and, and talking to him if they didn't think it's something that could be done. But uh, if, if if it does work out and the two sides want to have a marriage, you know they're gonna have to do a deal that's that's fair to to him, but also doesn't put your put your cap in payroll you know moving forward so uh you know they, every, everyone knows you know about the big contracts and where they're all right now and what they look like moving forward and uh 
they'll, you know, that's why some of these moves are done to kind of lay the groundwork for what's ahead. Um, I wanted to talk now about Quentin Spain, obviously a restricted free agent, uh, you know, a guy that we're looking at, uh, coming off of a year where he had some injuries, but when he was on the field, played really well. His whole career so far went undrafted, played really well for uh, a guy that was, um, that went undrafted. So, What's the latest on where the team's at with, with Quentin Spain, and how likely do you think it is that uh, Titans retain him? Well, they offered, they put it, they made a tender offer to him, and uh, you know now we're going to see if other teams make a run at him. I mean, if if things stand as it is, he'll come back on a, on a one-year tender and uh, and compete for uh, for a starting spot again. I mean, obviously they locked up Josh Klein with a a, a long-term deal. You know, Jack Conklin, Taylor Wanda, the tackles, Ben Jones back as a center. Uh, you know, if another team comes at Spain and makes a run at him and gives them a big contract offer, you know, the Titans will have an opportunity to match that if they so choose, you know, if they choose to take that route. Uh, so there's a lot, there's still some uncertainty regarding Spain because you just don't know what other teams are going to do with him. And, uh, and again, if they, they make an offer, then the Titans have to decide how they want to handle it, whether they match it or whether they think they can uh, find someone else in free agency or in the draft. I, mean, I, I still think that's a position, no matter what happens there, that you've got to look at in the draft uh, for depth and for uh, the future. I wanted to talk, too, about Eric Decker, a guy that uh, we brought in last year, obviously a really good wide receiver, nearing the end of his career. He's a free agent now. Um, you know, rumor has it he's visiting with other teams. It doesn't, from what we've seen so far, it doesn't seem likely that he'll be back next year. Do you think that is the case? Well, the guys that I expect to be in the fold uh, and contributors are Corey Davis, Rashard Matthews, Tajay Sharp, Taewon Taylor. All those guys are under contract, and, uh, you know, they've been working together. They're going to be an impact guys next year. You know, Decker's contract's up. Harry Douglas's contract is up. You know, you, you, you know, you never know what happens when you if, if guys are still hanging around on the market when uh, you know when training camp is getting ready to start. But you know, there's a lot of time between now and then where the Titans have a chance to either a add to that group I talked about in free agency or b pick guys in the draft and uh, I don't think they're in a desperate situation to find another receiver right now so you know we'll see what happens with him in the market uh, you know if somebody else signs him obviously that answers a question before you even get to to July but uh, uh, he, he signed a one-year deal with the Titans uh, before last season and uh, now he's kind of free to, to explore his options. And you talked a little bit about moving forward into the draft. This really feels like the first year in quite some time where we really don't have a glaring issue that needs to be filled, you know, a glaring hole that needs to be filled. Obviously, there's places along the team that we need upgraded, that we, you know, we could stand to upgrade, and I'm sure we will. But it's the first year where it really doesn't feel like there's there's that one spot that's desperately we need someone there. So do you feel like with this 25th pick, then there's a lot more freedom this year than there has been in years past? Because it feels like this one's much harder to predict, at least position-wise, where we might go. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. A, for, for what you just said, I mean, there's not a glaring need, but also you just don't know what's going to be 
available for you at number 25. You know, you may have a guy that's projected to go early, and because of some things that happen in the draft, whether it's a, a, long, a big run at quarterbacks or, or teams attacking other positions and then getting other teams getting getting uh, panicky and, and, and jumping at a spot, uh, taking a guy earlier than maybe they, you know, expected to, uh, you know, if a guy falls to you, yeah, you could you could jump up and get him if he's a great player. Uh, I, you know, so I, I do think there's some flexibility there. There's flexibility where John Robinson, you know, could even move back and get more picks. I mean, if people are asking me, I still get questions in my mailbag about, you know, whether or not the Titans could. I've had two in the last two weeks about whether or not the Titans could somehow move up in the top five and get a guy like Bradley Chubb. I mean, that's that's unrealistic to even. Uh, talk about stuff like that. The team has six picks. Uh, to get to the top five would cost you a boatload. I think the I think the more likely scenario is John Robinson maybe tries to get more, uh, maybe tries to increase his his draft picks uh, by making a move. But you just don't know uh, uh, what he's going to do. And that's the great thing about John Robinson. He's unpredictable. He's he's not afraid to make a move. Uh, and have people questioning, and he gets the benefit of the doubt because he's been right so many times. Uh, you know, with that said, this team still has needs. I mean, I think edge rusher, interior lineman still need a third safety, need inside linebacker help. Uh, you know, it's not going to shock me if they take a you know receiver. So still some needs uh, in the draft. Uh, it's just a matter of when you t- when you take those guys. And talking about John Robinson, and you've, you know, since being with the team, uh, you've got to interact quite a bit with John. He just always seems like he knows something that you don't. He just always seems so confident, and he's made some great deals. He's been a fantastic general manager. I think, you know, every Titan fan would agree with that, the moves that he's been able to make. Does he always come off like that? He's just—he just never seems like he's ever surprised by anything. He—he he has the big picture and he knows what he's going for, and uh, seems always confident in his decision. In his decisions. Yeah, I mean, he's and you know, he and he's the guy, obviously, that uh, is, is has done such a good job of helping turn you know the thing of this franchise around with some of the trades and some of the free agency additions, and just the way he's helped change the culture, man. I, I think he has, you know, he has the respect of the players. They know uh, he's in it to win it. They know he's is a pretty shrewd uh, operator. You know, and has proven to make good decisions. You know, he's worked hard to get to where he is today and really paid his dues. You know, working his way up from a scout to work to getting into personnel. He's been around, you know, some of the brightest minds in the game, especially Bill Belichick. From his time with the Patriots, and he and he he he's always kind of thinking ahead, you know, thinking in advance about how one move's going to impact another. And uh, you know, he's the first guy in the office in the building uh, in the morning, and he's regularly one of the first people to leave. You know, it means a lot to him. He, all you got to do is watch his press conference and see him kind of talk about, you know, his position and 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 making decisions for you know the team in Nashville, a guy who grew up in Union City, so it means a lot to him, and, uh, and he does he does uh, a heck of a job in, in putting the team in a, in a good position. 
And speaking about his boss, Amy Adams Strunk, you know, there was a lot of questions after the passing of Bud Adams, you know, who owned the team since the 1960 season. Uh, a lot of questions about what would happen. There, there was talks about other people coming in and buying the team. Would the NFL agree to it? And, and for a while, it felt like we were limbo. And the last, you know, two years especially for me, it really feels like Amy Adams has become, you know, the the figurehead. You see her more often. Very likable character. She's starting to do a lot with the team. We talked earlier about, you know, the unveiling of these new uniforms. You're seeing her a lot more. Becoming more of the face that you recognize there as the owner. Uh, is that something that uh, you definitely feel around there? Do you, It seems like her. she's more of a presence in the last couple of years than she was, I guess, in the, in the early times after Bud's passing. And it, it really feels like a strong leadership uh, has formed over the last few years. Does it feel like that now that you're um, spending more time around the team, obviously working for them? Yeah, but, but, you know, initially it was Tommy Smith who was kind of running the show there for a while, and that's why she wasn't out there as much because she was she was a part of the ownership group, but she wasn't the chief decision-maker. And then, uh, you know, when I was still working at Tennessee, I remember when that uh, kind of change in, in, uh, in, you know, in power uh, and, and decision-making took place. And ever since she got behind the wheel and and the family put you know the trust in her things have changed i mean she's made tough decisions on general managers and coaches she's uh she's helped uh you know be, be a springboard for changing the roster she's been responsible for changing you know the the look inside the facility whether it's the locker room or the weight room or or work that's been done all around the facility to change its appearance you know, the stadium looks different now, you know, with 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 a lot of you know improvements having been been made, and now the uniforms changing. So, and she's been very active, uh, not only in the national community and getting out and meeting the fans, you know, at these owners meetings. She's she's there interacting with the other owners and and being involved in big decisions across the league. She's she's a part of the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, committee. So, so she's she's very involved, and that's a, definitely a good thing uh, for the team. And I think fans should should be excited about it. Absolutely, and you know, I, I definitely agree. I think most fans now are pretty sold on Amy Adams. I saw the video you guys had on uh, Titans Online, uh, her giving the box to Taylor Dewan, and, and you know, he gets to see the new uniforms. It's a great video, and getting to see her face more and being more of a kind of the face of the you know the the uh the front office outside of John Robinson like Bud Adams was for the entire time and it's nice to see and it, she seems like a very likable person and I think a lot of uh, Titans fans would agree with that um moving on to the next thing here Jim do you perceive now that when Sue's still up in the air we've talked about Ndamukong and Sue do you feel like there's any other anybody else out there, like a bigger name guy that we're going after? Do you think that uh, with it's either Sue and that's kind of it? Because it's starting to feel like it's Sue and that's kind of it. And there's not a lot of big names left, but there's a few guys out there. Do you think the Titans will go after anybody else or no? Oh yeah, but I don't, I don't think free agency is over. I mean, you, you know, this is this is only a, a this is this is the twenty first of. March and uh, free agency 
is not even a, a week old as far as the clock goes. I'm looking at my clock right now, and uh, you know we're 35 minutes away from the start of free agency last week. So they're they're not done a week in. I mean, I looked at you know my free agency list, you know, in the office yesterday that hangs on my wall, and I looked at the one you know from 2016, and there were several guys added after the first wave. So. It, it's going to continue. I mean, you're still going to have spots filled in free agency. You know, then you're going to have the draft. Then you're going to have spots that you weren't able to fill in the draft that are going to be addressed in another round of free agency. So, uh, you know, it, their team is not done making moves. Uh, you know, they got two big ones in the fold in Malcolm Butler and Deion Lewis. You, you can't, you know, you, I think you got to be patient somewhat and see what happens with the Sioux situation and know what your pocketbook's going to look like moving forward. But uh, I think no matter what happens with Sue, even if Sue's added, that doesn't mean that that's it. I mean, I, I think you know, you're going to still see uh, other positions addressed. You know, how big a names those are. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, names are not necessarily what wins championships. I mean, you, you gotta you got to identify fits and not only on the field, but guys that fit in the locker room. And that. That's going to continue. That, that's a great point as well. Out of the guys, uh, real quick, that are still, you know, a free agents, we haven't really decided uh, if we're going to make a move on them or not. Is there anybody in that list? Do you think it's likely for the Titans to keep, or do you think there's anybody that the Titans definitely won't go after? Names like, you know, Eric Walden, Harry Douglas, Brian Schwinky, Bryce McCain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to rule anything out. I mean, I. I uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, and I think you a lot of them you just kind of have to wait and see. I, mean, I, I hear that list, and I think what well, I can sit here and think that this guy's, you know, not coming back. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't think that's necessarily my call to say, you know, who's coming back and, and who's still out there. That's a John Robinson decision. And uh, so, I mean, I. I I wouldn't rule anything out, but I think I think if you look at the roster, see who's been added, and see how guys ended last year, whether they were involved or not, maybe you know should tell you should you know fans should be able to read into it themselves on who maybe is likely coming back or not. All right, Jim. One last question before we let you go here. Uh, you know, obviously a big news story uh, last month, and still something in the back of our minds is uh, the t- or Tennessee Nashville specifically named as one of the four finalists uh, for an NFL draft in 2019-2020 being the host city. Obviously something that would be great for the city uh, and awesome for all the Titans fans in the area being able to go, uh, you know, relatively easily to go watch the draft. Um, Is this something that the team's, you know, actively going after, one, and and two, what would this mean for the city of Nashville if they were to to be able to, to host that event? Well, it would be great. I mean, I think the team obviously is, is is involved, and will. But you know, and the pitch will be made at the owners' meetings, not next, not the ones next week in Orlando, but the ones in May in Atlanta when uh, when a decision will be made between all the other teams and uh, or all the other cities. I think Nashville would do a great job hosting it. It's done a great job hosting uh, anything that's come this city's way, and I I think that the, the Chief, uh, you know, the chief decision makers and the people who are involved in pushing for the draft will make a great presentation uh, when the time comes. And 
at some other good cities here in the mix off the top of my head. I think it's Denver, Kansas City, Canton, and Vegas. And we're and we're talking about uh, the 2009 draft, the 2020 draft. Uh, I hope one of them comes to Nashville because I think the city would do a great job. It's uh, anybody that's been to Nashville, especially recently, knows how much energy there is in the town and how much there is to do downtown uh, from, from restaurants to to nightclubs to uh, just. Just, just the overall buzz in the city. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And uh, I'm not saying it just because I grew up in Nashville. This is my hometown. I've been to all these other NFL cities, and, and I love going to bit, traveling to these other places. But uh, I talk to my buddies across the league who come to Nashville, and they always talk about Nashville being one of their favorite spots. So uh, I think the city would do great, and I uh, hope it happens. Absolutely, as do I. I mean, Nashville is a great city. Um, thanks a lot to Jim Wyatt of Titans Online for coming on. Jim, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Okay, appreciate it. All right, thanks a lot, Jim. Another big thanks to Jim Wyatt for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to have him. Uh, now we're going to get into the, the meat of the show here, and I'm very glad to be joined by two uh, great Titans fans and two guys that, that really know Titans football first. No stranger to the show lately, uh, Cody Millhole and Tennessee Titans writer, uh, and has basically been my co-host the last few weeks. How you doing, Cody? Hey, man, it's great to be back again. This Tennessee weather's got me down, but uh, I'm ready to talk some Titans football. Speaking of the podcast, I got you a new listener. I got a new client at work yesterday, and yesterday was the first time we've ever met, but he's a huge football fan, and he's a straight homer, loves everything Tennessee. Vanderbilt is his biggest favorite team, but uh, today we both wore our Marcus jersey, so I'm in my Marcus Mariota jersey, and I'm ready to talk some football, and his name is Chase. He wanted me to give a shout-out to him. He's going to listen to the show from here on out. Awesome, Chase. Glad to have you, man. That's awesome. Good stuff. Uh, and the other guy with me, it's been a while since he's been on the show, but it's always fun when he comes on from Titans and Truth, Chris Newell. Chris, how you doing, man? Man, it's been a very long time. I thought y'all forgot about me, but glad to return out of exile. Nah, man, didn't forget about you. I'm glad to have you back. It's always a good show when I have you on, Chris. Uh, excited to get into this. Before we like jump into this, we talked about it before the show. We need to talk about this Dion Kevin Byard Twitter thing that went on today. Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, basically what happened is Dion put a picture of uh, Tyron Matthew in the Texans uniform up and said something to the effect of, you know, best safety in the league. And Kevin Byard, you know, was like, uh, you know, stats and tape don't, or, yeah, stats and tape don't back that up. And to which, uh, you know, Dion replied to him and, and tried to shoot him down and said something about, you know, I talked to current players and, and I'm a former player and I know more than a fan, basically. Not realizing... And I don't know how <laughs> that he didn't realize Kevin Byard, all pro, uh, pro bowler, Kevin Byard, didn't know that he was a uh, a player, not just a fan, which, you know, Kevin Byard put two tweets back to him and one, you know, you know, saying, well, I'm a current player. And the other one, which I thought to Byard's credit was he said, you know, I'm not saying that I'm the best. Uh, he's like, I'm definitely on my way up, but guys like Harrison Smith, um, you know, Eric Reed. He, he named like a handful of guys that he was just like these guys, you know, are, are all better than him. 
if you watch the tape and you look at the stats recently. So my like first question is like, how do you not know? You your job as an NFL analyst now as Deion Sanders, how do you not know who Kevin Byard is? Yeah, he actually said that on a show on uh, NFL Network, and then tweeted a picture of it, which Kevin Byard replied to, and uh, fans let him know real quick too. Fans jumped in on it. Local Nashville uh, sports anchor jumped in on it. Even in, other NFL players jumped in on it. So. It was kind of fun to watch. I wouldn't call it an all-out Twitter war, but uh, I'm sure Deion Sanders definitely learned who Kevin Byard was that day with everybody tweeting at him. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Not making that mistake again, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, and I, I would like to add a little bit more to it. I mean, you know, truth of the matter is, Kevin Byard now, from what I've heard, he's put that as his lock screen on his cell phone, so <laughs> he's going to see that message a lot, and that's just doing nothing but motivating him even more. So, I mean, Dion, 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 man, I have respect for you, but what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> Jalen Ramsey, a division rival, even come to Dion's, or not Dion, but uh, Kevin Byers' defense telling him that, hey, you know, you are one of the best, the uh, the tape back set up and whatnot, and telling him to keep his head up, and which Bayard replied to a fan who was wondering why a defense or a division rival would come to his defense, and basically Bayard said they had the same agent and the same mindset, so uh, they're boys. But still, it's kind of like the NFL is a brotherhood now. Well, I mean, you see it throughout all sports. Greatness recognizes greatness. And to say, you know, as much as we hate the Jags, Jalen Ramsey has been great. I mean, there's no two ways about it. That's why we hate him so much. It's because he's good. No one really hates the crappy players. I hope Blake Bortles is a Jaguar for life. <laughs> I mean, you don't hate on the crappy players. You hate the really good ones. And Jalen is, is a really good one. One point, though, is like, he is a, he is a you know first-team All-Pro. He was a Pro Bowler this year. And I know he hasn't been in the league very long, but definitely making some waves. Eight interceptions last year. He, I mean, he had a, an incredible year. So how do you not know there? But the other thing, too, is he's verified. He has the little blue circle or the little bluebird, whatever it is, with the check mark. It's a verified account. So if it was verified, he's talking to you about football. Wouldn't you at least look and be like, wait, if I don't know this guy's name, but he's verified, maybe he's a player? Like, that that also came to mind with me. It was like, how would you – that would even, like, slip you up. I don't – Dion obviously wasn't thinking at all when he saw it. I mean, that was obviously a tweet. And I'm sure that he's regretting it now. <laughs> Wherever he's at, I'm sure he's like, man, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, he did put out another tweet several hours after it all settled saying something about uh, I'm ignoring y'all and that's a blessing or I'm ignoring y'all and that's my gift to y'all or something to the extent of that hashtag truth and it just got me to thinking, you can say anything in hashtag truth to make it right. The grass is blue, hashtag truth. <laughs> I know that's right. I know that's right. I mean, you know, like you said, not only is it Jalen Ramsey coming to his aid, other guys, Casey Hayward, Eric Weddle, have all come to Kevin Byers' aid as well. So, I mean, all of this is just making Dion just look pathetic. Because, I mean, he basically was coming out saying, well, you're looking at who the writers tell you who the best is instead of the players on the field. I'm thinking, and I heard this on another show, and I agree with it because they were saying, 
Well, Dion, didn't you get in the Hall of Fame being voted by writers? I mean, that's a great point too. It, I don't, I don't know. It was, I, I just don't know how your your job is to cover the NFL. Your position, you played corner your entire career. Like you play in the secondary, which is like th- where this guy has been super successful. This isn't Curtis Riley. Like if it was Curtis Riley or someone to that level. I didn't know who he was. You'd be like, well, I mean, how many people outside of Nashville know who Curtis Riley is? You know, it's not that big of a name. But, it's, I mean, Kevin Byard's definitely made a name for himself in this league. And the short time he's been here, definitely made a name for himself. It just, it was like, whoa, what an idiot. Like, you know, it first came to my attention. Actually, one of my buddies who's a Patriots fan sent it to me. So I went on Twitter and, I, you know, I read through the entire argument this morning. And it just blew my mind. I, I I actually checked if it was a real Deion Sanders account because I was like, "There's no way he said this," <laughs> but you know, lo and behold, it was. <laughs> I got one last thing to say about it. This even went across seas. They're a fan club group too. I'm not sure exactly what they do, but they call themselves the Irish Titans. It's for uh, Titans fans in Ireland. They dug into Deion's past, and at one point, Deion said that he believed Terry Robisky was going to be somebody that. Nobody knows right now, but he's going to end up being one of the best head coaches in the NFL. That Dion believed that uh, he was kind of unknown, but he's going to be really good once people start realizing who he is. And that's Terry Robisky. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it even gets worse than that. I mean, all of that, he basically said it's a shame that Terry Robisky isn't getting a head coaching look. I mean, are you serious? That told me. Dion said it. This told me that Deion Sanders has not watched one Titan game at all. I didn't even see that. This is news to me. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's all. You see all this stuff all the time with you know Skip Bayless and Stephen A. And probably the two most like easy to hate. Like you know you can have your opinion about them, but they're the easiest guys in sports journalism to hate. And uh, you see all the time where people repost like some of the claims, especially Skip Bayless makes. And that's, I feel like this is on that level of like, you know, you see back when like Skip Bayless is like, you can't miss on Manziel. <laughs> like that, that's, that's claiming Terry Obisky needs to get a, a head coaching job in the NFL was that level of bad. I mean, that's terrible. I didn't even know that. That's definitely, man, that's awful. <laughs> that might be worse than not knowing who <laughs> Kevin Byard is. That might be worse. <laughs> I think that's a lot worse. I'm going to put up a, a Twitter poll. Uh, as soon as this show comes out, what is worse for Deion Sanders? Is it not knowing who Kevin Byard is when you your job is to cover the NFL, or thinking that Terry Robisky was the future of, of the NFL? I'll put that one out and see what everybody out there thinks. So definitely look for it uh, at to at TTU Podcast on Twitter. But let's move on, guys. We have a lot to talk about here. Uh, we're gonna cover free agency. It's been a couple weeks since we've had a show. A lot has happened, so we're going to get into it. First, the people that we were able to retain, uh, David King, we got on a one-year tender, uh, and then two are bigger names, Daquan Jones, three years, $21 million uh, contract. How do you guys uh, feel about us um, keeping Jones? Do you think it was the right move? I'm all right with it. You know, he's... I don't think he's ever going to be this flashy superstar type player along the defensive line, but he's a solid play guy, comes to work, does his job, very good against the run. I think he's a little bit underrated there. He's not going to be the pass rushing specialist, but he's going to be a guy that comes in, does his job, and gets it done. 
Yeah, I um, I, I second that. I mean, I just think this was just, I mean, it wasn't something that's just splashy or exciting, but I think this was just a very, very solid pickup. I mean, uh, three years, about $21 million. Uh, you know, that's about $7 million a year. So I just, I just think it was a very, very solid pickup. About a, you know, I would grade it like a B. You know, very good uh, running and uh, on the run game. And, I mean, he was, you know, coming to his own in the pass rush. You know, he had about three and a half sacks uh, before he got hurt against Indianapolis the second time. So, I mean, I think it was just a very, you know, solid, you know, keep on that. And, you know, he's very versatile, so he could play either the defensive end spot or he could play the nose spot uh, in the middle. So, I thought it was very solid. Yeah, I mean, going into free agency, I wrote everybody that I thought was a must-keep um you got to get rid of, and then guys I was on the fence, and he was one of my on-the-fence on guys, but when you see what happens right after that, and we'll talk about this later, you know, Carl Kluge's gone, Sylvester Williams is gone, you need to keep somebody. It's not like we can go into the draft and just draft six defensive linemen, you know, we have other spots that we need to grab guys at, so, uh, you know, definitely you, you got to a point where you had to keep somebody. If you're going to keep somebody, I think it had to be either him or Kluge, and, you know, given their age, and really, like, you know, you touched on it, Chris. I felt like this year, for when he played, was his best pass rushing year. I mean, he looked really good in a lot of games, uh, you know, getting to the quarterback. He looked a lot faster, I thought, this year than he did in years prior, uh, coming off the edge. So I think that, you know, that definitely played a factor in it. Um, now, I was impressed with the Quan Jones this year, like the step up that he made. He, his game definitely got better. Now, the injuries limited how much time he was on the field. That obviously sucked, but... But I thought, like, when he was on the field, he played really well. You know, better than what he has in the past. So I, I thought it was a pretty good signing. I, you know, you have to keep some people. We, we can't go in having Jarrell Casey as our only defensive lineman, in, you know, throughout the draft and trying to find guys in the offseason. You have to keep somebody. And if you're going to keep him, I think Jones is the right call uh, to keep there. I mean, he's he's definitely an asset to this team. The other big one, guys, Josh Klein. Uh, another guy I had on my in the on the fence uh, about four years, twenty six million dollar contract. How'd you guys feel about this? I was also kind of on the fence about Josh Klein because, of course, there was better options out there, but there's also a lot of way worse options out there. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I think that's just kind of the mindset going in there. Our division rivals got the best one off the market, so uh, we still got a solid offensive line. We're still good. We're still above average, and we got two really good running backs now for him for the for them to run behind him so uh, i think it was overall solid well i'm, I'm gonna have to go a little bit different on this one now when i i would say yeah bringing him back was an okay idea maybe a little bit too rich on the contract i mean i think we could have did a little bit better than bringing back josh klein i thought for most of the year he was the weakest link of this line but i know uh, I know Jim White has said this in the past, and maybe some others have said that maybe Josh Klein is a better fit for the zone scheme that we're going to be heading into, so that may be a, a good reason to bring him back. But I want to wait and see with Josh Klein because I, I'm i not really feeling the contract with that. But I, I would say, you know, continuity is very good, so uh, I would be okay with it. But I just thought it was a little bit too rich of a deal. 
I mean, I like this one. I, the The contracts are big, um, but the guarantees are not. And you see that with a lot of these contracts. You know, Josh Klein's contract, four years, $26 million, $12 million in total guarantees. You know, they, they, if he doesn't perform well, that's only $3 million a year. Even, like, for a guard, that's not much. That's, we're not paying him much if it doesn't pan out. It's not much dead cap if we cut him. Um, so I liked, I liked the contract. I really, man, I really wanted Norwell. And, you know, uh, Cody, you alluded to that, that the Jags ended up snagging him. Um, that Andrew Norwell coming out of uh, Carolina, I really wanted him in free agency. I think he's a stud. I think coming in, he would be the second best lineman that we have. And that's saying something because we have a very talented offensive line. And I, I figured, too, that we would get something done with Quentin Spain um, earlier than we did, judging by how he played this year. Uh, but right now, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, before we got something done with Josh Klein, but, you know, you're right. He fits, you know, just like Chris said, he fits the system and his own blocking that we want to try to uh, switch into. And he does that very well in the interior of the offensive line. Klein also is a guy that's pretty versatile, too. Like, you know, we've seen him play both guard spots uh, in his career. He's played the center spot before. He's a guy that you can bounce around a little bit um, and you can do some stuff with. I believe it when, when he was with the Patriots, he even played one game at tackle, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's a guy that can move around your offensive line. He's a great backup piece to have, I think. So I think if we're going to go in with the idea of we're drafting somebody, um, that's great. If not... You know, you're still, if you get Quentin Spain back, you're still going to have a top 10 offensive line. Like, you know, we were top 10 offensive line last year. I think the scheme we're moving into is going to benefit our interior offensive linemen. It's only going to help them out. Um, and I think on the edges, we have two studs. Although, Klein was a liability, and that hurt um, uh, Jack Conklin this year. I think that's evident when you watch the tape that his play hurt Jack Conklin. And Jack Conklin's year wasn't nearly as good, and I don't think that's his fault. I think it was covering for Klein a lot of times. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think it was a bad signing. I'm definitely not in love with it. I love, I like the Jones signing more than I like the Klein signing, for sure. Um, but if I if I put a grade on it, you know, like, uh, like Chris did on the last one, I would say probably like a C. Like, I'm not mad about it. I'm not happy about it. It was, it, it was an all right. And, you know, the contract's not that bad. It's, it's okay. Uh, but moving in, we got a lot of players that we got rid of. You know, guys like Eric Weems, Sylvester Williams, who really had high hopes. He was really bad in Denver, was really bad for us. Uh, so good riddance there. Uh, Matt Castle, which, you know, has been long overdue. Um, Denora Cersei now gone. Two guys I really want to touch on, though. First one, and it's just for me, is Carl Klug. Had really become like the patron saint of Two-Tone Uncensored at one point. We talk about Klug all the time. Uh, he's a guy that's not overly talented, but he's just all hustle, all heart, great work ethic. He's the kind of guy, like, as a football coach that you just love to have. You love to have a Carl Klug somewhere on your team. You know, he's not a guy that's going to blow you away with his athletic ability, but he's a guy that's going to try harder than everybody else. And and that's what has extended Carl Klug's career as long as it has been. Um you know the analyst part of me that you know that, that's looking at this as dollars and cents. This is a business. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, but you know the guy that loves Klug, I guess the more emotional part of me. It sucked to see him go. I really like Carl Klug. Um, 
And then the other one, obviously, DeMarco Murray, who this one, another one that makes perfect sense. You have to. You can't pay two running backs this amount of money. You can't pay a running back that's obviously going to be your number two running back this amount of money. Um, you know, the injuries last year, I think, had a lot to do with it. And I don't, I won't say, I don't think that he's done. I think that he still has a year or two left in him as a feature back. And I really think someone's going to land a really great running back. But, you know, it made sense to do it when you're doing it. But, you know, he came in to, to Nashville, had one really fantastic season with us, and, and had another season where he was injury riddled and, uh, but still, you know, out there competing. He's a guy that I really like, and, and I'm glad that he was a Tennessee Titan for sure. Definitely sad to see him leave uh, just because we liked him, but it makes sense, you know. And what are your guys' thoughts on these two? When it comes to Carl Klug, I was kind of upset about that one. The DeMarco Murray one, you know, we, we've seen it coming. Me and you have been talking about it for months now, but Carl Klug, I've always called him the lumberjack. He just looked like a lumberjack to me. He was just so relentless is how I describe his play. He was just always coming with a lot of effort. He always catch my eye whenever uh, he was on the field. He just always catch my eye. He was always fighting, always working, always playing with a lot of effort. But DeMarco Murray, uh, he did some great things for the franchise. I was happy we had him. I was happy with him being here. But at the end of the day, it just didn't make sense to keep him. It would have really stunt Henry's growth, growth, I believe, if we kept him around. Yeah, I um, you know when it came to Demarco Murray, yeah, I hated, I definitely hated to see Demarco Murray have to be cut, but I understood why because I mean, like you said, uh, like you said, Cody, uh, it's you know time to get the backfield of Derrick Henry. You know, we gotta let we gotta see what we have with him, and I mean, Carl Krug, I was sad to see him go too because I mean, he was the guy that. You bring your hard hat to work. You bring your hard hat to work, and you just go in and work every day. I mean, Carl Krug is like one of us, mate. You know, basically the regular go-to-work kind of guy, works his tail off, and just does the little things that really matter. And so um, to see him go, I hated to see it happen. I think he's a guy that we could have kept around, but I think, uh, I believe Dean is like, more bigger defensive lineman, and I think Carl Krug was about under, maybe right under 290 or under 280, so maybe he wasn't big enough for that defensive line, so I think that's maybe why uh, he got cut on that one, but it's still kind of sad to see him go. I hope Carl Krug lands with a team somewhere and is able to finish his career, but I think he should be in the same light as uh, Tim Shaw. He needs to, once his career is over, be a lifelong Titan. Absolutely. He's a guy that's been a fan favorite like, ever since Clue got here because of that reason. He's an unselfish player, team first, amazing work ethic. You know, if every every coach dreams that every guy just comes in and works like him. Like all the old school analysts always say, he's a guy that brought a lunch pail to work. Like he, he was just there to do his job. Um, and, and, you know, that's made Carl Klug very endeared to the Titans fans. I've seen a lot of guys, a lot of people... Uh, posting about it, but definitely a guy that you hate to see go. Um, and I think DeMarco Murray's along that lines. It's not surprising, like Cody was saying. We've been talking about it for months now. Uh, but it, it, it's still, like, he's a guy that came in, did a very good job for us, you know, worked his tail off, 
He, I think he did a lot to help Derrick Henry in the early part of Derrick Henry's career, getting ready for this year where Derrick Henry's going to be a number one back, uh, you know, for the first time really, you know, going into his season. So, I, you know, I'm not going to be mad about that at all. And I, I really, I wish both of them, and you know, all the guys we cut really, I, I wish them the best. I really want to see, I'll throw this in there real quick, you know, because uh, we don't really know what's going to happen with Harry Douglas. I hope that Harry Douglas comes back one day and coaches. I, I think he's a really bright guy. He knows the position really well. Uh, and I know it's been said a hundred times, but I really hope that he comes back and coaches. I wouldn't mind seeing Carl Klug uh, with a headset on either as a defensive line coach. I think he'd be pretty solid, especially with what he could get out of his guys. Um I think it'd be exciting to see. But speaking about these guys that are kind of up in the air, the first big one is Quentin Spain. So we put a tender on him as a restricted free agent. That means that someone has to meet that offer uh, and then the, or give him an offer, sorry, and then the Titans get a chance to match that. Um, and we might. It's a low-round tender because he was undrafted, which means we, and in certain circumstances, we might get a 6th or 7th round pick out of it if he were to go to another team. Some instances we weren't. I've tried to read up on this. It is incredibly complicated. It's like if you do it on a Tuesday and it's raining, you know, then you get a pick. But if it's a Wednesday and it's snowing, the no- I mean, it's crazy, like all the, the rules and stipulations. But we may end up getting a pick out of it if he does leave. Um, I'll ask yeah. you guys first what you think. I go of this right now, and obviously the tender, if we do pick him up or keep him, no one gives him an offer. He's on a one-year tender, so we'd have to end up re-signing him again next year. So how do you first off think about how the Titans have handled the the Quentin Spain situation so far? And then the follow-up question to that is, if someone throws out, like at what number do you say, no, it's not worth it? Like what per, per year... If they hit that number, you're just like, no, let's not match that offer. Right. Going into this offseason, Quentin Spain was the main one I was looking at. This is the guy we have to get re-signed. He's been phenomenal for us all year. He's got very heavy hands. Uh, him and Taylor Lewan on that side has been di- uh, dynamite for us, really keeping Marcus upright, keeping his blindsided protected. Uh, as far as number-wise, I'm not exactly sure on what the average guard salary is, but um, I wouldn't pay him top dollar, but if there's any way at all to keep him around, we got to keep him around. Yeah, I mean, um, I would probably say a good number for me on Quinn Spain, I would probably say is about maybe about six and a half. I would probably go over under at about six and a half, and I would say if it's over seven. Uh, with that, if the team just offers a ridiculous number, then I would just say we have to let him go. But at the same time, I think, you know, if you could bring him back for around under six, then, I mean, that's perfectly fine. If not, let him play out this one year and um, see if he adjusts to the scheme pretty well. But I would basically say about 6.5 is about my limit on Quinn Spain. I think he's done – I mean, he's done an admirable job uh, being that he was undrafted uh, out of West Virginia and has come in and been a very, very good offensive lineman, maybe not elite, uh, like Taylor Warren and Jack Conklin, 
But, I mean, I think he deserves a chance to stay with this team. But I would just go completely overboard uh, for him because, I mean, guard the guys you could draft. Oh, yeah, I mean, he, he had a, a fantastic season last year. He had, like, a little bit of injury issues this year. And then, um, I, I mean, he did last year, too. The the injuries have been a, a continuous, not a huge problem. He hasn't missed a ton of games. But I believe something like, what would it be, like five games in the last two years that he's missed. Um, and he did really, I mean, solid this year. I think it was definitely a slight step down, but... Like, Pro Football Focus rates him at the 27th best guard in the league. And watching the tape, I just don't think that's true. I don't think he's near the top. I won't say that. But I think he's closer to 19-20 than he is to 27 uh, when I've been watching tape this offseason. Quentin Spain's a guy that moves laterally really well. He's smart. Um, he's reactive. And I just think he did a really good job. He does have problems with guys... When they come from the inside or outside back inside and cross face him, sometimes he definitely gets eaten up on that every now and again. Uh, but you see a lot of the time too that he ends up having um, a Ben Jones on the inside, who's you know Ben Jones has been around this game for a long time. He's a veteran. We brought him in for a reason. That's because his football IQ is through the roof. Ben Jones is always there, and it doesn't really ever hurt us that bad. Most of the time, I'll say most of the time it doesn't really hurt us that bad. Um, so, yeah, I think that six and a half is fair. I, I was going to say, like, around that number anyway, so I, I think that's definitely fair. I'd re-sign him for that. I on, I would pay him more than Josh Klein. Like, I, I honestly would pay him more than, than Josh Klein. I know that Josh is going to fit our new system a little bit better, but I think Quentin Spain's more talented um, than Josh Klein is. He obviously has more football left in him than Josh Klein does. So I, I would pay him more than that. I honestly thought that we would try to get a long contract done because I have a, I kind of have this fear that we're going to let this go. Quentin Spain's going to have a really good year in 2017, and then he's going to be expensive to resign next year. And we'll talk about this later, but we have a lot of big names that are going to need contracts next year if we want to keep them. So that's you know kind of my fear with how we handled this. Now, if he comes out and he has another solid but not great year. He's he's not going to be that expensive or you know any more expensive than he was this year. So it'll be a great move for us salary cap wise if we resign him then. But if he comes out and he plays like he did in 2016, you know he's going to be worth a lot more than he was this year. You're talking a couple million you know here and there for every year. It's going to be a much bigger contract. So that that worries me a little bit uh, with Spain because I just I thought. I, that's just my thinking on it. Is I have this big fear that he's going to come out and play another season where he's near Pro Bowl level good, and then you're gonna you're gonna have to pay him out the nose. You're gonna have to pay him, you know, up in that eight million dollar category rather than like a six 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 and a half. But you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I definitely have faith in in John Robinson. And I mean, he. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a mistake that John Robinson's had so far. So you'd be an idiot not to be. Uh, you know, all on hit the Robinson train, but we'll see what happens there. That was one thing I worried about. But what about some of these other guys, Eric Decker, uh, Eric Walden, Brian Swinky, uh, being the big names. Other guys, you know, Harry Douglas and Bryson McCain. But I, you know, I really doubt that we're going to bring Harry Douglas back. And I uh, hope to God we don't bring Bryce McCain back. So with Decker, Walden, and Swinky, what are you guys thinking with these three guys? Any interest in any of bringing back either of these three guys? Uh, I would bring back Decker. I don't 
it don't it don't really look like it's going to go that way right now. But I believe we need two more wide receivers, and I would prefer them to be veterans than I had going towards the draft. That would give us an even split if we went two veterans. Would give us Rashard Matthews and those two veterans and the veterans. I know Tajay Sharp is going into his third year, but he missed all of last year, and I wouldn't consider him a veteran just yet. Brian Swanky, it really depends. I'm not sure how. Uh, that guy that we drafted really late last year, Corey Levin or something like that. I'm not sure how he did on the practice squad or in practice. So Brian Swanky is solid death, but I think it really depends on that guy that we drafted late last year and how his uh, progression's coming along. Yeah, and uh, I, I definitely, um, I think Eric Decker, the ship has sailed. Uh, I, I don't see him coming back. Brian Swinkie, I think for cheap, if for some reason, if he's still available after the draft and we're not able to get a uh, a good guard or um, a guy that can play guard and center in place, maybe I could see him coming back. Uh, I am interested to see what uh, Corey Levine and Brad Seaton both bring to the table, especially now Brad Seaton, now that Jack Conklin may miss some time. So this might be a chance to you know put him up the depth chart uh, maybe with uh, Dennis Kelly. So I could see that. I mean, I would say low light, $2 million, if not less, for Brian Swinky. The guy I think that could come back out of the three, I want to say it's Eric Walden. Because Eric Walden, although he didn't put up great numbers, he wasn't terrible either. He did do a few good things uh, as far as uh, helping in the pass rush and relieving uh, a right poor Morgan some. So I think uh, Eric Walden of the three probably has the best chance to return. Now, as far as Harry Douglas concerned, yeah, if he comes back like as an assistant wide receivers coach, I'm good with that, but not as a player on this team. And if I hear anything remotely close to bringing Bryce McCain back, I'm sorry, I might start a fire John Robinson thread right then and there because I would be like, that is the dumbest <laughs> thing you could possibly do. Now, I also believe, as one has said, our, our John is an awesome John. Don't get me wrong, but, yeah, you do that, I'm going to really have some serious questions. <laughs> uh, that's funny, man. I I, uh, I would agree. I, out of the three... I think it's most likely I think it's Eric Walden. Out of the three, the one I want the most is Eric Walden. Um, you know, four sacks last year coming out of uh, out of our off the bench, I should say. Um, I, I thought he did a really good job. His sack numbers coming out of Indy, I think a lot of people saw that number and went a little crazy. I knew he wasn't going to reproduce that. I, I, you know, that number's not what Eric Walden's. I can't say it's, he's not capable of it because obviously he did it, but it's not going to be an average for Eric Walden. It's going to be an outlier season. But what he does did for us last year is coming off the bench, he was able to get in rotation so Morgan and Arakpo didn't have to set on the field constantly. He played on both sides. He did a good job. Four sacks, a lot of pressures. I thought he was a disruptive player when he was on the field. And I, he did a lot to help out his starters, which is exactly what you should do on the bench is give them a break and still be able to produce some. And hey, I think he did a good job of that. I'd definitely be in favor of bringing him back. I thought he had a good year. Um, Schwinky, if he's really cheap and we want the depth, like he he can play. That's the thing that keeps Schwinky around is he's versatile. Because he's not very talented, but he's very versatile. You know, he can 
play the center position and both guard spots very easily. Like he's he's decent in those spots, but he's just not very talented. He's kind of easy to beat. Once guys figure him out, it's normally a long day for Brian Schwenke. As for Eric Decker, I'm feeling like I uh, everybody keeps looking at wide receiver. I don't think it's as big of a need now. I, I don't think I think a lot of people think it's a lot bigger of a need than I do right now. You know, I'm looking at Corey Davis, so I think he's ready after what we saw in the playoffs to step into that number one role. You know, and then this year he'll be able to spend a lot more time, obviously, right now out there spending time with Marcus, getting used to that. And he didn't get to do that. You know, if you remember the, the off season, Marcus spent some time injured. Corey spent some time injured. So he never got to build that chemistry until he came back from injury, you know, halfway through the season. Then it's really hard to be able to get the time um, outside of Sundays to, to really get. You know, they practice like once or twice a week during the season. It's hard to get that rhythm going in the middle of season. You have to do it in the off season. He's doing that. So I think he's going to be your number one. You know, you're going to have Matthews. You're going to have Tajay Sharp. Uh, you're going to have, um, you're gonna, oh, damn, I'm blanking on his name right now. What's his name? Taewon. Um, Taewon. Jesus. Taewon. Couldn't even think of it. Taewon Taylor. It's been a long day, guys. <laughs> but you're going to have Taewon <laughs> Taylor. I think that's your core right there. I, I think that you play Davis and you play Matthews on the other side. And then I think you play Taewon in the slot, and then you bring in uh, Tajay um, for Taewon in certain circumstances, and you use him in four wide receiver sets. And I think that that's okay. You know, you might draft draft some depth, see if you can't find a sixth or seventh round guy that is going to be, you know, really good. And and if he's not, whatever, it's a sixth round pick. Um, But with that, and then you still have Delaney Walker, you still have... Uh, Johnny Smith is his backup. I, I think you're pretty much set. I don't. I don't, th- I don't think we need to draft high on a wide receiver. I'd say anywhere above the fifth round. I wouldn't expect. Uh, I don't think you need to go out and grab one where we're setting right now. So as much as I think Eric Decker, Eric Decker's lack of production last year. Let's start off with that. Wasn't his fault. Like that was the system's fault. Um. And I think he could be very productive in a, in a system. I, I think he's a touchdown machine, and we didn't use him like that. You know, you look at his touchdowns yeah. last year, I think a lot of people were like, oh, he didn't do it. But you look at how many times he was targeted in the red zone, and you're like, well, yeah, no shit, he didn't do it. So that, that's not his fault. I wouldn't be mad if we brought him back, but I just don't think we need to. So, I, you know, I think he's obviously – I think it's very likely he's not going to play with us next year. And I'm, And I think if I was the general manager, I'd probably make the same call. Yeah, and I mean, I want to add one other thing to that. See, I think a lot of things was the system's fault. Because, I mean, I'll say before it again. You know, if you have one person struggling on offense or one or two people struggling offensively, then you could probably take a look and say, okay, that player needs to step up. That player needs to get it together. But if you have multiple players for, like, almost an entire unit that's struggling, it's a little bit more than that. So I think a lot of that was on Terry Busky, as I like to call him, uh, being the big-time issue with that. And, I mean, um, I think with, you know, that's why I'm glad that I saw with, you know, Marcus working out with the other receivers and everything like that. Uh, that is good at continuity. So I don't see us dropping a receiver until after the fourth round. Heck, I don't even see a drop to the tight end until maybe after the third or fourth round either. So 
I don't know why, like, for example, Tommy Shea, for like the second or third time in a row, has us picking a tight end in the first round of the draft. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it's something I've never understood either. You know, we have Delaney Walker's so obviously your de facto starter. Johnny Smith looked really good in limited time last year. So I didn't understand that either. I do think, and, you know, we can touch on this for a while, talking about the, the draft before we talk about uh, some of these guys that we have signed. We're, and I talked about this earlier uh, to Jim Wyatt, and he he agreed with me wholeheartedly, is this is the first draft that we're going into in a long time where there's not a glaring hole. You know, last year we needed to get a wide receiver. The year before that, we needed some offensive line help. The year before that, we really needed a quarterback. There's There were spots that we were like, you got to. In the first round, you have to take this position. And not necessarily this player, obviously, but this position has to be filled in the first round. We don't have that this year. There's there's definitely needs. Like, don't get me wrong. There are needs. There's places where we could get upgraded, but there's no glaring holes on this football team. From top to bottom, there's not. There's definitely spots that need to be filled. There's definitely questions that need to be answered, places that we could upgrade. But this is the first draft that we're like... You know, you look at these mock drafts and you, you know, and you put them side by side and it's like, this guy's like tight end, defensive end, linebacker, safety, corner, <laughs> you know, it's pretty much across the spectrum. Like you never know what they're going to say because there's no, we're going to take ta- like the best talent out of position and need. We're going to go not with, we need to get this guy or we need to fill this position, but let's take the best available player that drops to us in a position of need. And so that's why the Titans are next to impossible to mock draft. That's not going to stop us from trying, of course. I'm still working on my mock draft right now, and it should be out uh, sometime next week. But, yeah, I mean, there's not that desperate position of of need this year like there has been in the years past. And that's because we're becoming a much better football team. Obviously, you know, last year getting our first playoff win since 03. This, you know, this this speaks to themselves. And, like, we had a, a fucking really bad offensive system last year and we were still able to get that far i think this year you know i think the ceiling's going to be much higher so uh you know i, I don't think that there's going to be this need to go anywhere now i obviously don't think we're going to draft a tight end <laughs> like in the first round especially i don't think we draft a tight end at all just like chris said but could i see any edge rusher linebacker defensive end is obvious like yeah that is a place well, we're probably the weakest, and we and we definitely need to get some talent. Um, could I see us going uh, for a safe, like safety? You know, yeah, I, I definitely could. Could I see us going, you know, linebacker? You know, now we have a hole with Avery Williamson. Like, yeah, there's. Could I see us even going guard at twenty five? Like, absolutely. We're gonna go wherever the talent's there for. So that's what's gonna make the Titans interesting. Is you're gonna watch people fly off that board. You know, come. Uh, later next month, and you're going to start seeing. I guarantee by pick, where we 25, if we don't trade, by t- pick 20, you're going to be able to see. You're going to be like, oh shit, this is where we're going. But before then, you're not going to see. Like, I, you can do all the mock drafts you want. It's not going to stop us. I'm going to do my mock draft, and I hope you all check it out. <laughs> but you don't know. I mean, it's, it's a crapshoot right now, because we're finally good. It's a good thing, because we're finally good, but... Yeah, Todd McShay's smoking crack. We're not going to take a tight end. 
I agree. <laughs> I, I agree with that. And I think, as far as the draft is concerned, this is just my philosophy. We're either going past rush or a middle linebacker at 25. I don't, I don't know if I see us going guard at 25 unless that is the best player available at that particular position. But I honestly think it is definitely either pass rusher or middle linebacker in the first round and then the other in round two, in my honest opinion. But I think, I think middle linebacker has climbed to be like the top need that we have to have because of that hole of Avery Williamson. But uh, we definitely need pass rush help. Uh, we definitely could use a guard. Um, even though we got Deion Lewis, a, a running back uh, in the later rounds, I mean, we won't need to draft one early, but I would say in like the fifth or sixth round, we could draft a running back. And I would also say maybe, I would say definitely another safety could be key uh, for that. Maybe somebody that could come in and challenge Jonathan Cyprian and. Um, you know, we could definitely use some more depth there. So I think those are a few positions we could definitely look at. But, yeah, we could pretty much go anywhere we want to with this draft. As for me right now, right now it changes a lot, you know, with the draft. You know, you're changing week to week, day to day. But I've been watching tape since about early November last year. And I think right now we have to go defensive tackle because there's top three in this draft, Deron Payne, Vita V out of Washington, and Taven Bryan from Florida. And those are really talented guys. But after those three guys, and it's deep, and there's other talent in the draft at the position, but there's a big fall-off. When you look at the linebacker and edge rusher position, it's pretty deep, especially at middle linebacker. Edge rusher is a little thinner, but you can find some good guys at that position in rounds two and three, too. But there's a big drop-off on defensive tackle after the top three guys. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, like running back, obviously not a position of need for us. Now that we got Deion Lewis, you know, we might see us take a guy later on uh, in the draft, but not a, a position of desperate need for us at all now that we have Deion Lewis. But uh, you look at how deep running back is. It would every year, you know, these you know bigger name running backs come out, and it almost seems like every year the best running back was taken that round three or, or further back. Like almost every, you know, you get like a Kareem Hunt, you get like an Alvin Kamara, these guys that weren't first rounders that end up being uh you know really really talented guys and, and there's always that one guy that pops up that you're like you know drafted in the in the sixth round and he ends up being uh the leading rusher among rookies um oh by yeah. the way i just wanted to pat myself on the back this has nothing to do with anything but i said even when juju smith schuster fell last year i said that that was a mistake, and he was going to be one of the better wide receivers, and I was right. So I just wanted to pat myself on the back there real quick. Uh, but getting back in the draft club, I mean, Nick, you don't know. <laughs> the Titans are hard right now. They're so hard to pick because I agree with you, and I think that I think that Vita Vey is one of the best overall players in this draft. I just got done watching his tape, and it's unreal. Um, there's a lot of guys that I think are really good, but I, at 25 it's so hard to pick because you don't know what's going to happen ahead of us. And then I really on we're gonna go best available player probably the first two rounds, um, or trade, and and then from there on I think based on what we got in the first two rounds you'll see us address other needs. Yeah. Okay. And I'm 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 gonna, 
Do what? One bet. I just want to make one bet. One bet on the draft that I know for sure is going to happen. We're going to make a trade somewhere. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to take that bet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think... I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think we're he's definitely going to trade it. Do not be surprised if it's at 25 and trade back. Uh, in the draft, I think he could trade back, and I mean, with Indianapolis just completely screwing up everything for us. <laughs> well, really, the Jets screwed that up. I mean, uh, really, to be honest, you know, I think either Cleveland or Indy may want to trade up or something like that late in the first round. Maybe we can steal a couple of their picks from them. So, uh, I could see trading back definitely being a possibility. I don't really see us trading up, but I agree with you, Cody. I think a trade is guaranteed to happen. I definitely think that. I mean, you look at John Robinson's history drafting. He likes to draft capital, and who doesn't? He's going to trade back. Um, I think it's almost guaranteed if he gets to, if he has to get the offer, right? The offer has to be there. But if he gets it, we're going to trade back in our first two picks um, to get some more draft capital. We have six picks going right now. We're going to want more than that. He's going to want more than that. I definitely, you know, you see people all the time, and, and Jim White talked about this, talking about us trading up and getting Chubb or trading up and, and getting a guy like they or, or trading up, you know, for this guy and that guy. It's I don't think it's going to happen. It's not very likely at all. One, to trade no. up that high to get Chubb, you're going to have to give away at the barn. You know, that's what, you know, Jim White was talking about, and it's 100% true. But even to trade up to, like, you know, 15, 20, we're going to have to give up a decent amount. And I think that it's much more likely that we trade 25 back than we trade 25 up. Agreed. And I just think if you're going to do that, if you're going to trade up, it better be for your number one guy on the board and you feel like there's no way on God's green earth he'll be at 25 or you want him and absolutely nobody else. That's the only way I see it happening, and no, I, it, it, it's too much. There's a lot of good players that will still be on the board that you can go with, so I wouldn't do it. I got to disagree just a little bit. I think with those three defensive tackles, if two of them go off the board and we're only about four or five, maybe less than that, picks back, I believe we trade up to pull the trigger on that. Because like I said, from what I've watched and what I believe, I believe there's a big drop-off in talent from those top three going on down. Each one's good at different things as well, and I think we can get a lot of production out of any of them, but that'd be the only way I'd see us trading up. And when I said I'd like to bet on a trade earlier, I just meant a trade in general. It don't have to be the first round. It could be later, middle, or early, whenever. I just know there's going to be a trade somewhere. Right, and, and yeah, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that, that wants to give you their money on that trade. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, maybe. If we're going to trade up, it's not going to be a big one. The only right. reason you yeah, trade up that. in the five, in the top five, is you think that guy's going to be your franchise quarterback. Like, you're not trading what? from 25 to five for anybody other than a franchise quarterback. I, I mean, you look at the Jets right now, it's obvious that they're going to take a QB. What they gave up to get up there, drafting anything else would be a would be a bust. It'd be a terrible pick because you're gonna find good running backs throughout the draft. You know, maybe not guys that are gonna be as good as Barkley, but you're gonna find good running backs throughout the draft. You're gonna be able to find, um, like you know, guards. There's not a big drop off almost every year 
the guards throughout the draft are pretty solid. You know, you're never going to trade up for, um, you know, safety. Positions of any position where, you know, speed matters, but it's not integral to the position, like corner, um, and any position that, like, heavily valued, like quarterback, defensive end. Like, you could trade up a little bit to get a defensive tackle. You're not going to trade up a lot, though. And it's, I think that you're going to see a player fall. And they're going to be, as soon as they start saying, man, I can't believe this guy fell, and you're getting close to that 25th pick, watch out. Because that's the guy we're probably going to get. Like, we're going to get best of player available, whether it be a defensive tackle, um, defensive end or edge rusher, uh, you know, a linebacker. I still don't think safety's out of the question in the first round. You know, I don't think it's the best pick for us, but if it's the best player available, why not? I think, I still think a 25 guards in play. Um you know, there's a couple guys that I could see going at the end of the first round at the guard position. So I really feel like it's there's it's so open right now for the Titans. And trading back to if you're not seeing that name there, I mean that's a definite possibility too. Um, but let's agree. We're gonna get into the draft uh, a lot heavier starting in the next episode. I try to push it back this year so it wasn't every week like last year it seemed like we were talking about the draft from like february all the way through april so i tried to push the draft talk back a little bit so it's only a month long and not uh you know four or five months long so next week is where we're going to get into it uh more in depth but let's get into these guys that we did sign malcolm butler Dion lewis obviously the two names um that we steal away from the patriots malcolm butler five years 61 uh, million dollar or 61.25 million dollar contract with 30 million guaranteed roughly 6 million a year uh, if you do the guaranteed this this is the interesting thing look Dion Lewis four years 20 million uh, 5.75 guaranteed a lot of people saw these big numbers and were like oh Titans overpaid I, I saw that a lot like Titans overpaid look at the guaranteed guaranteed money is the only money that you should really ever look at in a contract. If you look at Malcolm mm-hmm. Butler's contract, he's the 10th highest corner, highest paid corner in the NFL. If you look at his guaranteed money, like that pushes him way back the list. It's six million it's less a year. Than Logan Ryan. Exactly. Yeah. Dion De- Lewis, it's one point. He's right now the 11th highest paid running back if you look at total money. It's less than $1.5 million a year. It's less than Derrick Henry. If you look at just guaranteed money per year, less than what Derrick Henry's making in total money, and he's on a rookie contract. The only issue with that is, though, when you got it in there, in, in the contracts, when it counts towards your salary cap, you've got to be able to cover it because it's mostly incentive-based. You've got to be able to cover it, so you can't spend that money other other places either. That's the that, only issue. That's but true, that but will it, roll over if they don't get it. Exactly. That's the point. Is it, it'll start rolling over. You know, next year will roll over a little bit more. Next year, that's where John Robinson's true genius comes in. He's, I think he's a great trade maker. I think we've seen that. I think he's very, very smart about who he takes in free agency. But the contracts, I think, is what makes John Robinson a true genius. They're front loaded. They're incentive heavily heavy. They're team friendly. When you see that big number, it, it scares you. But Malcolm Butler's not going to make $61 million. Like, he's not. Like, no. some of those incentives right. are win a Super Bowl. Some of those incentives are 
uh, you know, be first team All Pro. And I like Malcolm Butler a lot. I think he's going to be a great addition. I don't think he's going to be first team All Pro. I don't. <laughs> you know, a lot of right. those incentives are so impossible to reach that you'll never reach. No player has ever in the history of the NFL hit all of their incentives. It's never happened, and it never will. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I agree, and I think also, and I think also with that is that, um, like right now, neither one of them are heavy. You know, you got to look at the cap numbers, and that's the main important part. It's not necessarily the money, but it's the cap number. And I'm probably incorrect on this particular number, but his cap number is not extremely high next year. I think his cap number is right at under six. For this year, now I think it goes up to ten or twelve next year, but uh, his cap number is not his cap numbers will not be astronomically high. It's like ten, twelve, and that's about it after the next couple of years. And you know, like you said, they could get out of it. They really set it up to where after the first two years, if they're not satisfied with them, they could cut them before year three. You're exactly right. These are front-loaded, incentive-heavy contracts. And that makes it incredibly team-friendly. The cap space that we're going to have after the second, third year of these players is astronomical. And we were talking about it before the show, guys, and you both agree with me. John Robinson set this up, so we were never going to want for cap. We're never going to be in a position where we're too broke to go after people. We're too broke to be a player in free agency where we have to cut guys in order to make room, we're never going to be in that position because these contracts are genius. They're front-loaded. They're incentive-heavy. They, I mean, he's still, they're still going to make a lot of money. Malcolm Butler and Deion Lewis are still going to make good money. And they're going to hit like, probably a decent amount of their incentives. They're both very talented football players, and I think they're both going to be very good in our system. And I think that both of them are going to do extraordinary things, but... They're not going to make nearly as much as that number. So, all you fans out there, when you look at a contract, look at years and guaranteed money. Everything else, you know, though a lot of players will go over guaranteed for sure, but like not normally, not by very much. Normally, it's not by very much at all. I believe I read this a couple years ago. I believe it said the average NFL player only goes over his guaranteed money by like three percent. I mean, that's not much at all. When you're talking, like, that's not much at all. That's not much money. So, uh, when you look at the grand total of things, the grand scheme of things. So, I really I really think that that's where John Robinson's genius come in. These contracts, are, I think, are amazing. These players, let's talk about the players now, I think are really good pickups for us. Malcolm Butler gives us a three-headed monster at cornerback. And I, I wanted to bring this up, too. Is Remember a couple years ago, it seems like every year... For the last couple of years, uh, our worst unit ends up becoming one of our best. Offensive line was one of our worst units in 2015. One of the worst units in the NFL. I believe we were ranked uh, actually 31st. We were last in sacks allowed. We draft Jack Conklin. We bring in Ben Jones. We get these guys. And all of a sudden, we're the highest rated offensive line in the country. Um, this year... You look at what we've done with cornerbacks in our secondary. Our secondary was really weak two years ago. Last year did okay. I think this year it's going to be really good. It's And in like running backs, it happened a couple years ago where we had like 
like nobody at running back. I mean, it was desperate at running back. Then we had a two-headed monster. DeMarco Murray leaves. Now we have this lightning and thunder matchup with Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. We John Robinson has done such a good job of turning our weaknesses into our strengths. Um, you know, this is going to sound like us just kissing John Robinson's ass probably for the rest of the show, but deservedly so. These contracts are amazing. we got two players I think are really going to help out. Malcolm Butler. I really think you're going to see Malcolm Butler and Adoy Jackson most of the time on the outside. And I think that's going to push uh, Logan Ryan on the inside. But that's where Logan Ryan does his best work. That's where you want Logan Ryan. You're going to see Adoree play whoever the speedster is. Adoree, uh, you know, he had a great year last year. He looked better than I thought he would be. More NFL ready than I thought he'd be. Um, and Logan Ryan does his best work in a slot. So, And most of the times nowadays anyway, three guys at corner on the field majority of the time. Like, most of the time, that's the way it's working out anyway. Deion Lewis, I think, is an exciting piece. I just kept thinking in my mind when we signed him. You know those plays where Marcus gets out of the pocket, they have a spy on him, and Marcus does that little pump fake and goes, or he does that little dump-off pass right over the linebacker's head into the running back's hands? Him and Deion Lewis running that play together? Man, if that doesn't get your blood pumping, I don't know what will. I mean, that's exciting to think about. That's when Deion Lewis is going to earn that contract, is when Marcus gets out of the pocket and he has to make that choice, that little dump off or get him to bite on the pump fake and go. He does that pump fake and cut better than anybody in the NFL, Marcus does. Now that he has a weapon like Deion Lewis that you have to stick to, I mean, you don't have a choice. You stick to Deion Lewis or Deion Lewis is turning that into a 40-yard play. Man, that's exciting. That's going to be an exciting duo to have a guy that's that good in the open field and then a, a, a quarterback that is so good at playing that point guard position. I think both these guys were absolutely good contracts, great pickups. Uh, I think we've really knocked it out of the park in free agency. I think we did better in free agency than maybe any team out there. I agree. I, I 100% agree with that. And I mean, Malcolm Butler signing, I was – I think he might be a logical choice, but I was still surprised that it got done with him and Deion Lewis. But first off, I got to give a big shout-out to our assistant general manager by the name of Logan Ryan. (laughs) He was the guy that kind of, you know, he kind of spurned all of that together with those guys and got those guys, you you know, was telling them about the city, telling them about, you know, the good things that were happening here and kind of help get those guys here. So big kudos out to our assistant GM, Logan Ryan. But I think Malcolm Butler does make the secondary probably one of the better ones in the NFL, minus Jonathan Cyprian. Deion Lewis, I think, is the perfect complement to Derrick Henry. And I agree with what you're saying, Ryan. I mean, the way that the contracts are working out is working out beautifully. And I am stoked to see how all of this looks. Right. I, I like both of these players for a lot of different reasons. And we was made the butt of a lot of jokes. And I'm sure you've guys seen it too. The Patriots logo with uh, blue on it with a T on the hat calling us the Tennessee Patriots. But I really like both these guys. With When it comes to Malcolm Butler, it's kind of like when I seen the signing, it didn't really surprise me. It's kind of like, you know, I figured we was going to go after him. And if he would have signed with someone else and looked at the, I would have looked at the money, I was like, huh, you know, I guess that's why we didn't. But it's kind of one of those things, I, I kind of was expecting it to happen. 
And then when he got up for his press conference, he talked about how he was from Mississippi. And uh, I got to be real careful where, how, how I say this here because uh, I bring up Steve McNair's name. There's no telling where we're going to go with this. But he talked about Steve McNair, how he really respected McNair, how he was a huge McNair fan, how he even went to Akron because of Steve McNair. So he knows our history. Uh, he's proud of the South. He's proud of where he comes from. So that really stood out to me. And then when it comes to Deion Lewis, he got up there, and, and I'm sure we was going to talk about this anyway, but he even cried. He was so emotional. He had legitimate tears coming out of his face. And it's because he won't, he was wanted here, and he's never felt that from an organization before. And it and it's kind of like leadership basic one-on-one. If you're hounding somebody, always talking down to them, always riding their butt, they're going to want to rebel on you. But if you show them that you appreciate them and that you respect them and that you're thankful for what they do, they're always going to give you – more than what's expected of them. And Deion Lewis is going to be so fun to watch. Not only all the creative stuff we can do on offense, if we can get him and Derrick Henry on the field at the same time, but just like the previous regime talked about, they love special teams. We could have a Dory and Deion lined up back there to catch a punt or to kick off returns. We're going to be dangerous there as well because Deion can uh, contribute on that side of the ball too. I think that's absolutely yeah. true. and. You know, like, talking about their, their press conferences, like, man, was that, like, every fan, as soon as, uh, you know, Butler starts talking about McNair, like, immediately you're just like, oh, man, I love this guy. Like, I can't wait to see what he does. Like, yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, you're talking about the, you know, a guy that's near and dear to every Tennessee Titans fan heart and a guy everybody likes, uh, you know, a lot and for good reason, you know. Steve was one of the best quarterbacks of his generation and really, you know, the team that just came um, to Tennessee was one of the big reasons that people became Titans fans. You know, you talked a lot. Of, Matt Nacrone, who used to be on the show, says the reason he became a Tennessee Titans fan was because of Steve McNair. And a lot of people have that same exact uh, sentiment. So that's definitely true. I've seen a lot of people kind of come down on uh, Dion Lewis for that for like crying and stuff during the interview, I loved it. it. You know, it showed me like one thing that I really like about Deion Lewis. He's passionate. He's passionate about the game. Like I told you guys before, that's a guy that doesn't run. He sprints. That's a guy that doesn't hit. He nails. That's what you want in a football player. A guy that's passionate about this game. That loves the game of football. That's what I when I saw him like crying during the, the press conference, I was like, "This is a guy that wants to get out there and play right now. This guy's ready. This guy's emotionally there on the field right now. I'm excited to see what he can do." I like I loved both of their press conferences. There was nothing about these two signings that I really didn't like. I like both of the players. I like the contracts. I like their press conferences. I mean, it was all of it. He, both of them really impressed me. I mean, from top to bottom, these were great signings. There's nothing that I can look at to be like, oh, I didn't like that part of it. I I love it all. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'm going to put this out there to everybody. I want y'all to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. A real man is one that can that is not afraid to shed some tears a little bit and show some emotion. When you show emotion, that means you really give a damn about something. You show emotion, that means, like you said, Ryan, you're passionate about the game. I mean, this is coming from a guy that said in the press conference, this is the first time he ever felt wanted by any team. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is that means a lot to you. I mean, 
you got to think about it. A lot of us have jobs and we go to work and sometimes we don't feel appreciated or feel wanted by our job or don't feel wanted by somebody we're with or don't feel wanted by our friends. So the fact is anybody that comes down on Dion Lewis for shedding some tears a little bit, you, you need to get from around here. You need to get from around here and just have a heart. I mean, that's what this guy is going to bring, and he's going to show you on the field exactly what all that passion is about. So I give big ups to Deion Lewis. Don't be afraid to cry a little bit. You know he's happy. You know those are tears of joy, not tears of sadness. So, I mean, I think we've all been there before. So for all y'all out there that's kind of getting down on Deion Lewis, lighten the heck up, okay? There's some passionate thing. You know, football players are tough, big, tough guys. Don't ever cry. Don't ever feel pain. They don't bleed. It's just a stereotype. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you. I want the guy that's passionate. I want the guy that's that's there to knock heads. I want the guy that cries when he loses. I want that guy. I want the guy that shows passion in everything he does. That's the guy I want. That's the football player I want. Because that's the guy that is going to give more than anybody else. You know, that's... You know, that drive and that passion, that's where that extra little bit comes from. You know, that's and that's probably a big reason why Deion Lewis has been so damn good in the postseason in his career is that passion, that drive, that, you know, that. And then, you know, to be, he's out there saying, you know, crying and stuff because he's like, this team wanted me. What do you think that's going to make him do? What do you think the results that are going to be? He's going to come out here, he's going to play his ass off. You know, this is the first time that he's ever felt wanted. He's going to come out here and play his ass off. This team wants me. I'm going to show him that wasn't a mistake. You know, that that I loved it. I, I mean, I, as soon as I saw it, I saw some people coming down on it. So I went and watched the whole uh, the whole press conference after I saw a couple people come down on him. And I was like, man, I love this. I love I love the intensity. I love, like, the passion behind it. It was awesome. I, I think he's a guy that's going to immediately come in and be a difference maker. I think he's a guy that's... That's there because he loves the game. And I think he's going to give the Titans 115%. And by the way, talking about Malcolm Butler, you know, we talked about, as uh, as Chris put it, our assistant general manager, big shout out to uh, Bill Belichick. You know, thanks a lot for not starting Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I got to send you nothing but love, man. Great decision. Helped us out here in Nashville. I loved it. Uh, yeah, hey. So- I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> I do want to throw in that. Yeah, definitely shout out to Bill Belichick for not starting them. But also, I mean, they're both going to have some added motivation because if I'm not mistaken, uh, we see those pesky Patriots at some point this season. That's absolutely <laughs> the truth. I'm excited to see that game and what they do. Like, what then? You're talking about, like, Malcolm Butler who's going to want to come in and just knock heads. He you know, he really feels like he was screwed over by that team. I think anybody who saw the situation thought he was screwed over by that team. And really, the team screwed themselves by not playing him. Uh, I, I think he's going to come in. And then Deion Lewis, I don't think, really has as much to be mad about the organization. But the passion that that guy has is evident. I, I'm excited to see what these two do. When uh, you know Bill Belichick and, and Tom Brady and that group comes into town, I think it's going to be nasty when you see these two play in that game. 
You know, everybody always makes a big deal about that. And most of the time, it's not like those guys are like, oh, you know, I don't I don't hold anything against them. You know, they were good to me while I was there or whatever. I really think these two are going to have something to play for, especially Malcolm Butler, who really was, you know, pushed out and, and you know, wanted to get out for a good reason. I think that these two are going to come to play. And, and I think, and I'm hoping the Patriots really regret the decisions that they made in this offseason and this and the Super Bowl and this free agency by letting these two go. I, I just think that that is going to be an exciting game, and it will be actually interesting to see if that particular game ends up being a prime-time game. I mean, because I think the fighters are going to be better, and they'll be more suited for it. And, yeah, that's going to be the object of the story is that Malcolm Butler was not in the Super Bowl, and now he's on – the playing the team that they did play last year. So I think that's going to be, that will be a fun matchup. And as much as I hate the Patriots with a passion, that'll be a game I watch with, with thorough intent, with a keen eye, you know, to see uh, us take it to them. No, I absolutely agree. You know, we talked about this next year, guys. Marcus, Lawan, Arakpo, Morgan, Delaney Walker, Rashad Matthews. Six of our top ten most expensive contracts are going to be coming up. Tough decisions are going to be made next year. But I think we've done a really good job. We talked about this with John Robinson. Right now with $42 million, just over $42 million left in cap space. Last year we rolled over $30 million. I think that's going to be even a little higher. I think we're going to have a lot of money next year um, in order to get these done. I think you're going to see a sign. Probably Marcus. I was going to say Marcus Lewan, but you're probably going to go Marcus first uh, this year before this season even starts. And then you'll see Lewan's definitely going to get a contract. I think Arakpo and Morgan, you know, that's where you might, like, it depends on on what, like, price points they want to hit. Delaney Walker's another one. We're just going to suck to see these guys leave, but it could be a real possibility. I think Matthews is a no-brainer. You re-sign him uh, because of the ages on his side. Um... But the good news is all these front-loaded contracts, the rollover is going to be big every single year. Uh, you're going to have cap space every single year. But before we get out of free agency, guys, let's talk about Sue. This is the big thing. I talked a little bit with it with Jim White earlier. Um, it's, it's interesting because we really don't know what's going to happen yet. Right now, you know, the Rams are the front-runner, but Sue, he's taking his time. And I think he's doing that one because he wants to find the perfect situation for him, because this might be his last, probably going to be his last big contract. Two, he wants teams to get in a bidding war. Sport track right now estimating his value at about $14.2 million. I think that's a little high. I would put him in the like 9 to 13 probably, around that number. 12 being probably the most realistic, but... Uh, obviously he's met with a lot of teams, canceled his meeting with the Raiders. A lot of people think that is a sign that he's going to sign with the Rams. I don't know if I'm saying that. I think it's a sign that he likes one of the teams that he's already met with, or he's getting offers that he already likes, or maybe he just doesn't like the Raiders, you know, rethought that offer. It could mean one of a million things. Normally in these situations, it is because he, he's, you know, the last team he visited with, he's going to sign I don't necessarily think that's the case in this one because he came out and said he wanted to take his time going into free agency, finding the best offer, finding the best team that fit him. The one thing that's been interesting, you know, and we've been talking about this, I've been talking about this a lot, is Sue has never played professionally 
in a 3-4 system before. I, I mean, obviously he can. I think he has a versatility to switch over, but that's going to be an interesting thing, and definitely something that the Titans are thinking about. Even though we're switching to like a multiple front, so it's, and most teams, even if it's 4-3 or 3-4, you're going to see both heavily used. Um, but it's going to be a situation that's a little, our base set is going to be a little bit different than, than what you normally see. It's going to be interesting to see how Sue, how ready Sue is for that, exactly where we're going to play him. Um, but man, the idea of him and Casey together on a defensive line is obviously very enticing. Yes. I, when I, when I heard this was coming out, I was even shocked that we were even getting a meeting with him and that just kind of had that thought in my mind. I mean, I know he made me play three, four, uh, I mean, four, three, pretty much his entire career, but even Bart Scott had said this some years ago that, Dominican Sue could be even more dangerous in a 3-4 as a 3-4 defensive end. And I agree. If you have a reason, I've said this for years that we need to find somebody that can go opposite Jarrell Casey on the other side. And I'm, that's why the Daquan Jones signing was very vital because Daquan Jones, you can move inside the nose. You can play Austin Johnson at nose and you don't have to take Adamica Sue off the field. You put, I mean, I know with the Rams you got him and Aaron Donald. But after that, who else do you have to throw rush the passer? You traded Robert Quinn away. Brockers, I don't know if he's that good. With us, you'll have Sue. You got a line that could have possibly a rat pole. Sue, Daquan Jones, Jarrell Casey, Derek Morgan, and then maybe another pass rusher from the draft, you know, coming in. That's the line I don't think I would want to block. Yeah, just like Chris was just saying, you got, even though he's never played in a 3-4, there's plenty of spots you can use him because Daquan Jones can move in to play nose. Uh, who knows, Suka might play nose. He might could play the three-tank across from Casey. Uh, there's going to be other options for him, no matter – where where he fits, there's going to be a place for him on the defense if he wants to sign with us. I just seen a report before I jumped on here with you guys that there were six teams, including the Raiders, who wanted him. The Raiders aren't going to get a visit. The Cowboys, the Seahawks, the Saints, and the Rams were the other two. And I seen a report right before I jumped on with y'all that um, that uh, he's narrowed it down to three, and it's between us, the Saints, and the Rams at this point. The first three teams that he's visited. And uh, I'm following some guy on Twitter. I think his name is the Schultz Report or something like that. I think the guy's following Sue around or they're traveling together or something because he knows anything and everything first thing when it comes out about Sue. And uh, what he says is Sue's not worried about the money. He's trying to figure out which team is the best fit for him now and which team gives him the best chance to win right now, which that could be a total smoke screen. This time of year, you don't believe anything you hear until a paper's signed. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think Sue is more worried about the money than he's letting on. I definitely think that's the case. Um, you know, but here's the thing that helps us. The Saints would have to cut players. The Saints don't have the money to go after Sue like we do. You know, the Rams are going to have to figure out how to pay some players in the coming years, but they have enough cap space right now to go after a guy like Sue. So they're in a position, and I think it's definitely going to come down between us and them. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, we're definitely in a position where we're a playoff team but and going to be 
deadly in the future. I think the Rams are in a very similar situation. I think you can say the same thing about the Saints. I just don't think the Saints are going to have enough money to end up pulling this off. Um, so I think it really does come down between us and the Saints. I, I, I honestly think that we have a strong chance still. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, though. You know, Sue, if he does go to the Rams, you have to think he's going to be playing with a very good secondary behind him. He's going to have a lot of help in that secondary, you know, with who they signed. Um, but, you know, we also made improvements on the secondary. we got guys that have proven themselves on the biggest stage. I mean, you look at Malcolm Butler, you'd be hard-pressed to find another guy that has proved themselves more in the Super Bowl than Malcolm Butler uh, has. So, you know, that obviously all of this is going to be a factor, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens with Sue. Um but I still think we have a strong chance. I definitely don't think this is over. Yeah, and now here, again, this is the key that I want to put out. Now, true enough, if he goes to the Rams, which I'm pretty sure they are the, run, the fronts in this, and I'm not knocking us out by any means because I think we got a great shot at getting them too. Here's the thing about it. The problem that the Rams are going to possibly run into, they only have about $25 million in cap space. As of right now, Aaron Donald is going into his fifth-year option. Now, eventually, they're going to have to pay him. And they're also going to have to find a way to pay Marcus Peters or Keith to leave at some point in the future. And, you know, there are some Rams reporters. I think another guy by the name of Alden Gonzalez, I believe, is one of the reporters out there. He doesn't think it's a good idea to bring Sue in uh, to the Rams because there's a very good chance that even though this could work out now, they could end up alienating Aaron Donald even more, saying, you know, okay, you're bringing in this outside guy, but you're not going to pay me, and I just want defensive player of the year. And, you know, um, and Aaron Donald did hold out last year. He held out uh, before joining the team. So, I mean, this could be good for the Rams, but it could also cause a very bad ripple effect within the Rams organization, which, I mean, that could give us an advantage there too. Plus, Terrell Williams, the uh, new defensive line coach, was Sue's defensive line coach in Miami. And he absolutely loves the Dominican suit. I mean, you know, to the point that I think he's going to be a deciding factor if Sue does come here. So that little effect could happen. Yeah, that's all. That's a great point too. The Terrell Williams connection. It'll be interesting to see what happens, man. It, it you know, we have to wait and see. I don't think there's really any clear indication yet. I know a lot of people thought that because he canceled it, the. the Raiders meeting right after he met with them that it was a done deal. I definitely don't think that's the case. I truly feel like it's going to be between us and the Rams. I don't I don't think the Saints are going to be able to move around enough money to be able to sign him to a contract that he's going to want. And, and I, you know, he says that he's not worried about the money, but he's going to want to get paid. And the only people that are going to be able to do that is us and the Rams. If it does come down to a bidding war... We do have the money to outbid everybody that's involved, obviously, you know, with what Chris just told you, but how much really do you want to pay this guy, you know, is definitely going to be a big question. You know, we don't want to throw 
you know, the whole farm at him with all that we have coming up next year. Um, so definitely something that we're going to keep our eye on. But, Cody, you had a, a neat idea on the close here. We'll come to it. Um, talking about, with all the additions that we've made, and, you know, Sue being another possibility, what does our Super Bowl chances look like right now pre-draft? Um, so I'm going to ask you two what you what you guys think. Like, what possibilities do you think for the Tennessee Titans making a run at the Lombardi Trophy this year? I think they're definitely trying. And this just kind of dawned on me while we was recording it. We was talking about the Patriots and stuff, and you go back and you think that um, the Patriots won a Super Bowl with Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan as their starting cornerback. Quarter, so we know that they're good enough to win a Super Bowl starting. Then you look back to last last offseason, about a year ago from today, all the fans were just, we were in good cap space, but all the fans were like, all these big names were signing, and everybody's like, what's going on? We're not signing anybody. We're not we're not doing anything. You know, they're like poking us with a stick, telling us to do something, and we didn't do nothing. And then this year, uh, we, we made coaching staff, staff changes. We went out, got some big names, uh, got some notable people, some people who have very good reputations around the league and college. Uh, we went out and got some big free agency signings, uh, two of them being from the Patriots. And now we're going after one of the best defensive linemen in the NFL. So uh, right now we could be making a legitimate Super Bowl run and or push anyway. And uh, Marcus being on a rookie contract right now, this is the time to do it. While quarterbacks are on their rookie contract is when your uh, Super Bowl window is the most open. You kind of look back at the Seattle Seahawks most notably when Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract and now that he's in his big deal, the team's kind of falling apart. So right now is the time to do it. Our biggest issue is, though, the Houston Texans are really good on their Super Bowl caliber defense with Deshaun Watson coming back. The Colts are getting Andrew Luck back. they got a competent GM now. The Jaguars got a Super Bowl caliber defense. So our division is really good, but we're also really good. And the AFC South is going to be a powerhouse uh, here in the next couple of years. And I'm sure our division – our division, the AFC South, is going to be in a Super Bowl very soon. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, um, I mean, I don't think we'll make it to the Super Bowl this year. I think we still have a we still have a shot to make a run at it. But I think the window is definitely just starting to open for us to make a run for the next few years. Because I think John Robinson is not just making these moves just for this year. You know, it does seem like he is going all in on making a big run this year, we're going to be in good shape to make run for multiple years. And I think, you know, New England is probably going to start heading down soon. I think Pittsburgh will probably head down soon. And I think this is our chance to rise up. And, I mean, yeah, our division is getting stronger, but I think we're getting stronger with it. And I agree because after uh, Monday when the window opened for free agency, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff with other names going to other teams, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, John, what are you doing? Do something. Do something. Get into action. And then we started hearing about Malcolm Butler and Deion Lewis, and it's like, okay, now he's in the fight. Now he's doing something. So, I mean, I just think the window is just opening, and the sky is the limit. I think we could do a lot of damage. Yeah, I think the window opens this year. I don't think it's super likely that we win it all this year. But I think it opens on this year. And Cody, you bring up a great point with the you know Marcus Mariota's contract and rookie contracts with quarterbacks and how easy it is if your quarterback's good um, to win while he's in his rookie contract because you're not paying him those obscene contracts that 
that quarterbacks always make. Uh, but the way that John Robinson's setting up, and Chris brought this up, we're going to be... Our window is going to be large. It's going to take a while for us to come out of that Super Bowl window. And, and I, I definitely think that's true with the way he's working cap right now. I think this is the first year, though, it's truly going to be open. Uh, we're going to get under a new offense. That's going to take time to learn. But we're bringing in the, the right pieces. We're filling in the right spots. We're going to have a talented wide receiver core, I believe, this year. We're going to have talented running backs. We have a talented quarterback. Our offensive line's top ten. You look at the defensive side of the ball now, our secondary got a huge facelift. We still have really decent run or, or linebackers, excuse me. Um, and, you know, in the inside, we're hurting a little bit, but the outside, you know, they're fantastic. Our defensive line definitely needs some work. But we're building the right pieces. We're putting everything in place. This is the year our, our Super Bowl window truly opens. Now, I think it's likely that it takes us a year or two. Um, but, you, you know... You bring up a great point, and I think this is something that, if Sue thinks about, will push him towards Tennessee as well. The AFC is going to be a lot easier. A lot easier. The Patriots, I believe, this was their first year in their decline. Uh, you know, they lost some key players, like not only the players that went to Tennessee. Believe it or not, there are some players that left New England and did not come to Nashville. Uh, but they lost Nate Solder, which is a huge loss for them. I mean, he's a fantastic left tackle. They're going to have to figure that out. They've already have offensive line problems before that. And then you know, they lose weapons. They lose guys like Deion Lewis. Um, this is, I think, the first year that they're really going to start feeling it. You know, feeling the the decline. And, you know, Tom Brady can't play football forever, obviously. I think... You know, the Steelers are already feeling it. You know, it's hard to say that after they smoked the shit out of us last year. And, you know, I was at that game. It was hard to watch. But Roethlisberger had to be talked into coming back last year. Um, They're having all kinds of issues getting Le'Veon Bell signed. I I think they're already in their decline. I think last year was, like, the first year to start it. And you looked how they played in some games. Like, not, not taking anything away from the Jaguars. They obviously had a really good team last year. But that game against Jacksonville was not just Jacksonville being good. It was the Steelers playing awful. I mean, it was awful the, the way that they played in that yeah. game. I think that you're seeing Pittsburgh start to hit this decline. I think it's going to start hitting them, you know, affecting them in a big way here soon. They don't have a guy that I'm com- that you know that I'm confident has the ability to take over for Roethlisberger. I think Dobbs is going to be a great backup quarterback in his career. I don't have faith in him as a starter. Um, and I'm sorry for all you Tennessee fans out there that will disagree, all you volunteer fans that will disagree with me. But I, I just don't see him as a starter uh, quality in the NFL. I, so I think that the Steelers are hitting their decline. Now, who else is there? The Ravens have been down for quite some time. Um, the Jaguars are just starting to hit their peak. I definitely think that we have the toughest division in AFC, one of the toughest divisions in football. I think it's clear to see. You see the way that these teams are competing. What Houston, you know, Houston had a bad year last year, but look at they did when Deshaun was out there. And I do think it's a little overvalued, um, for sure, when you consider, like, people always mention the touchdowns, but nobody mentions how many interceptions Deshaun Watson threw. Um but they, they're going to have a, a good team, and they they improved the, on their defense, which is already a good defense. Jacksonville's going to have a really good team. 
if Andrew Luck does come back healthy, we've seen Andrew Luck t- take shitty teams to the AFC Championship game before. So this is going to be a tough division to come out of, but it's an easy conference to come out of. By far the easiest conference to come out of. So, you know, that's definitely a big part in it is the AFC is not that strong. And we're going to have, if we get to the playoffs, I think it's going to be taking out Jacksonville. And and the Patriots, I think, are still going to be a power player, but I think they're definitely starting to decline. And I think it's really going to start becoming Tennessee and Jacksonville. You know, it's going to be flashbacks to the, like, 97 to 99, those years. Uh, and hopefully they work out just as well for us as they did back then. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, yeah, and I will say, for the, for the New England things we were talking about, losses that they took with Deion Lewis and Malcolm Butler gone and Nate Solder gone. But I think their biggest loss for the New England Patriots happened last year when they traded Jimmy G to San Francisco. Now you have no successor for golden boy Tom Brady. You don't have a successor there. Now at some point, the Patriots are going to have to draft Tom Brady's successor. Is that successor going to be ready in like, less than two or three years to take him on, to take his place. That's a great question. I, that trade's never made sense to me, but and now just more proof with Jimmy G, the way he's playing, this makes the 49ers a real power player in the, in the NFC, not like they needed more. I mean, plenty of good teams in NFC right now. Um and I, he's definitely good. They're definitely going to be one of them. They made some great moves too in the free agency. On top of the way that Jimmy G played last year, you know, not losing, still hasn't lost a game in his career. I mean, that's all you got to say. It's not like he's played a lot, but that's super impressive. And especially the fact that he did more, most of that winning with San Francisco's roster, which was probably the worst roster in football last year. And I think you can make the argument that they had a worse roster than the. Um, than the Browns even had top to bottom. They're a, not a good team, but they make, they're making strides to be a competitive team. And with Jimmy G as their quarterback, I think they're going to be more competitive than they probably should be next year. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we played that that uh, NFC West this year. We don't have to play them for a while because the Rams are going to be good this year. I think the 49ers are going to you know continue to improve. Arizona's making some moves that, that are making sense. Uh, even though I think they're going to struggle a little bit. And, you know, Seattle, you can never count them out with Russell Wilson. But, I don't know. It, it's interesting, man. It's That was a dumb move, though. And they got rid of Brissett as well. I really feel, you know, we heard about the turmoil last year and with the Patriots. And everybody kind of wrote it off because it's like they always make the stupid news stories when the Patriots are going to the Super Bowl. They're all these dumb stories. I really feel like there's a lot to it. All of these guys were willing to leave in free agency. And you you saw, you know what happened with Malcolm Butler in that in that game. You saw them get rid of Brissett and Garoppolo, giving them no. But you know, I think was it Hoyer still their backup? Like they gave themselves no protection for what happens if Tom Brady's done. I really think there's something going on in that front office, and it's toxic. And you know, I definitely think it's going to lead to the downfall of the New England Patriots ultimately. But you know, good for us because we're benefiting from it. You know, got Logan Ryan last year, got Malcolm Butler, Deion Lewis this year. Uh, you know, got John Robinson from them. Mike Vrabel used to play for them, obviously. We're, we you know, we're building, uh, we're building our empire off of the destruction of their empire, which 
I mean, that's one way to do it, and I think we're doing a good job for it. And, you know, I, I'll still say we're another year out. I think we make the right moves next year. Not, you know, not uh, 2018, but 2019. I, I think that we're going to be a very deadly team. If we keep making moves like this, and I think we will because John Robinson is a genius, um, that's going to be a nasty team in 2019. I think we're going to be a really good team this year. I think we're going to be... Right now, I'd say probably a 10 or 11 win team. Uh, we're definitely going to be in the hunt for the AFC South champion. Um, we're definitely going to be in the hunt in the playoffs. But but next year, as the Patriots continue to slide, um, and then by next year, I think that Ben Roethlisberger's done anyway. I really think that you're going to see this Titans team. I think you're going to see the Titans and Jags become the top two teams in the AFC. Yeah, we're we're going to be a dangerous team next year. If you if you try to look past this or sleep on us like a lot of analysts did this past year, we're going to hurt you. If any team makes that mistake, they're not going to win that game when they line up across from us next year. Yeah, and I, I think we're going to get, and I think finally for the first time in a long time, we're going to finally get some prime time action uh, this year. We're not just talking about one game on Thursday night. I think we're going to get. Um, I think we'll get some multiple games. So I think, uh, you know, we're going to finally get a little bit of respect around here. Absolutely. I definitely, you're going to see Titans on Sunday nights. You're going to start seeing the Titans on Monday night games more often. Um, before we get out of here, guys, how excited are you about these new uniforms? I think I'm more nervous than excited. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree. I think I am. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm anxious and anticipating, but at the same time, um, yeah, I'm a bit nervous because if that little very small sneak peek is there, basically, it looks like the same as the old uniforms or the ones we currently had. So, I mean, it doesn't really make that much. It's not looking very different. But we're going to see. They say it's a drastic change. We're going to find out. I kind of hope that it's going to be like the navy blue and the light blue on the shoulder pads, kind of like the old school jerseys, maybe a few differences, maybe look a little bit more modern with the white pants and the navy blue pinstripe on the side with the light blue outline. I I really like those uniforms and I miss them. So I I hope it's something kind of similar to that. I'm seeing a lot about silver, man. You, you kind of see, like, in that little teaser video they put up, you see a lot of silver, and people have been talking about that. I'm excited to see that as an accent color. I, I think they're going to look good. Um, you know, if that little teaser gave us a little bit. I, I'm excited to see what, what they look like. I'm definitely a little nervous, for sure, like you guys said. I definitely want to start seeing us wear the old oiler throwbacks. Like, once a year. Do it once a year, throw those throwbacks on. They're so nice looking. Um... And I hope that we do that, but, but yeah, it's, it's exciting, you know, that, we, me and Jim White talked about it, that whole event that they're doing, I think is awesome for the, the unveiling, and is if you're in Nashville on April 4th, you gotta go check it out, um, I think it's yeah. gonna be a really, really cool time, but, uh, thanks a lot, guys, Cody and Chris, uh, for coming on, Chris, uh, is obviously from Titans in Truth, uh, the, the podcast, you can find their, YouTube video and or sorry YouTube channel at Titans and Truth and you can find Chris it's Blue Enforcer right on Twitter that's right uh, TNT uh, at TNT Blue Enforcer 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Titans underscore N underscore truth uh, on Instagram. And also, uh, I'm going to be updating the website, www.titansandtruth.wixsite. That's uh, W-I-X, I mean, W-I-X-S-I-T-E uh, dot com backslash Titans and Truth. You can find the website. We're going to be updating some stuff there. I'm uh, going to start writing some blogs again. And uh, definitely be on the lookout uh, for stuff going on. And I thank y'all for letting me be on the show once again and dealing with my crazy behind. Always a blast having you on, Chris. And Cody, who Titans writer, who, I mean, writes everywhere. I mean, he's, he's going to do some writing for me coming up. He's all out sports now. I mean, he's writing everywhere. Uh, tell them how they can find you, Cody. Uh, the easiest way you could find me would be on Titan Town on Facebook. You can like the page. I've put all my work there. We put these podcasts up there, so it'll be easy to find me there. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun again this time, too. Absolutely. Thanks, both of you, for coming on. Everybody, uh, you can check out uh, our Facebook page uh, at TTU Podcast, Twitter, TTU Podcast, uh, my personal Twitter at the Ryan Moreland, M-O-R-E-L-A-N-D. And check out uh, our website. We're doing some new things. I'm going to start doing um, some writing on there and posting stuff on there. Uh, you know, Cody's helping me with that, bringing in a team of writers. So we're going to start doing... Titans analysis, uh, Titans news, opinions, and then some cool stories that we have. Now, I've already have a couple ideas in the works for some neat stories about uh, you know some players and some stories that you might not be familiar with. Very exciting stuff. Very excited about this. Um, so definitely check that out. That's www.ttupodcast.com. Uh, and under the news page, you can find all that. Also, obviously, you can find... The links to all of our stuff, our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our Twitter, all on TTU Podcast, as well as the schedule for the upcoming season, or, well, you know, what we know of the schedule for the upcoming season. All of the TTU Podcast episodes are on there. Find a bunch of stuff, as well as the Hall of Fame, and I wanted to mention this real quick before I got out. The 2018 class for the TTU Podcast Hall of Fame it's being worked on right now, uh, so that group of people that are going in the Hall of Fame will be announced here in the coming weeks. Very excited about this class. Uh, we, we started this last year and had a lot of fun with it and got to honor some people that do a lot for the show, so definitely going to uh, bring that back and do it again this year. So in the next couple weeks, um, we'll be announcing, probably right after the draft, be announcing who enters the, the TTU Hall of Fame Thanks, everybody, for listening and making this show not only possible, but a lot of fun to do. Thanks again uh, to Cody and Chris, who were absolutely awesome. And an extra long episode. And a big thanks to Jim White, who came on this episode earlier. Uh, As I say each and every week, tighten up. Fuck the Jags.